Welcome. This is the Bobcat Commission's Chief Session for December 4th, 2012. Uh, it's about a little past 10 o'clock. We are beginning with our budget update. John Rudman and Connie Garofalo are here to give us that update. Please begin. Thank you. Uh, we are here today to talk about the budget update for 2012. Um, overall, uh, the results are trending in the right direction. That is a positive direction. Um, as you recall, we, the general fund has an operations side and a capital side. Uh, the operations side, uh, between revenues and expenditures, is approximately $87,000 ahead of budget. Um, and the capital side is approximately $777,000 ahead of uh, the budget. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the revenues and uh, kind of go over the expenditures and the results of the fund balance. Um, since we last met, the projection for the revenues is up uh, a little over $100,000. The bulk of that has been in an increase in uh, community development uh, revenue. Uh, compared to budget, they're projected to be about $160,000 up uh, for the year. The, I think on the county fair is just that that's only slightly ahead of where we were last year. We had, had a budget which was equal to the prior year. Um, otherwise, uh, changes on the downside to treasurer's fees or interest income. They continue at their somewhat anemic pace. Uh, but uh, for next year, I think. In here, we've got a projection of $134,000 for interest income. I think for next, for the 2013 budget, uh, we have about $113,000, uh, which is lower than this year's projection. So I think we're pretty safe there. Um, otherwise, for the general fund operations revenue, we're projected to be about $116,000 up. On the capital side, um, we have savings. Uh, $568,000, and we also have additional revenues of about $200,000. So that looks really healthy for this year. Any questions about the revenues? Where do those revenues come from, John? The additional $2,000 some odd? The additional $200,000? It's mostly from sales tax because we get 50% of the sales tax. So that's not the sales tax is up. Is that what you're saying? Sales tax is up. But I think uh, what we have for this year, currently year to date, is 4.9% uh, ahead of last year. We're projecting to be 4.7%, um, and we're watching it closely because obviously we know without snow that there's um, the potential for for a reduction in revenue. But right now, through September, we're two-tenths of a percent ahead of what our projection for the end of the year is. Uh, well, and at one point, we were 7% mm -hmm. above, right. or, or above last mm -hmm. year. So we were three right. percentage points or something above. Mm -hmm. right. So we've kind of hit a fall in, what, August, September? Because it's only numbers it's, through it's September, right? It's slowly crept down. Uh, and then October, November, two of the lightest months of the year. Yeah. December is similar potentially in the 13 to 14 percent of total range. So October, November, because they're light months, aren't going to skew that number that yeah. much. That's correct. Although I would anticipate them being down from our expectation would be my, okay. what I would say. But uh, 
Okay. Yes, Jeff. John, what does one percent represent relative to sales tax? About sixty thousand dollars, I think. Sixty. Yeah. Yeah, I. Um, I'm not very very encouraged. Right. <clears throat> Here, owners coming in for half the time that they were, and play it by ear. Of course, mm -hmm. we get this big giant blizzard that we pray for. Um, I'm certainly not encouraged that we're going to end with the kind of end of year we had last year with better snow than now, but not great snow, of course, at Christmas, and, and somehow sales tax revenues just, you know, were great. I don't know if we can repeat that this year. So is there any need to make an adjustment? I think where we go through the first quarter is, uh, and then revise. I think we stay the course at this point. I mean, it's just one of our revenues. Um, 19% or something. That's correct. Uh, and sure, there's some risk, there's some non-risk, <coughs> but we're obviously going to be watching it and making adjustments. Um, our expenditure, on the expenditure side, because of the the size of the capital spending. If we have, like for this year, um, we have about $30 million of total spending in the general fund, uh, which $10 million is, is capital spending. We can make adjustments in that. Um, you know, I think is this, in a, in a worst case scenario, um, on this particular sheet, it shows a 20% reduction, at least on the general fund side, is around $645,000. And that's um, that's an extreme number. We know that that um, in a couple of years ago during the, the recession it went down 17 percent. So, and that was coming off a bad year in the stock market. We're coming off obviously a, a decent trend in both the economy and uh, um, the market itself. So uh, the conditions prior to last time's fall substantially different than they are right now. So. Yeah, and one last question, Michael. Yes. Um, on that chart, general fund operations revenues, um, how do we determine the percent of revenue at risk? Is that a historic analysis where we highs and lows and understand the variance? Well, we try to really take the kind of the worst case uh, scenario. Um, and we put them all together in one basket. And that's why on a, uh, if you did absolutely nothing, if on January 1st the world had a substantial change which um, affected everything, and we did absolutely nothing to adjust our spending, uh, we would take approximately a $2.8 million hit. So we're just trying to get, give you an idea of the relative problems um, that you can have. Now, obviously, the, the 2.8 million is, is less than 10% of, of what the total overall budget is. So I think that we, the conditions to have that substantial report have to be very precise, and it has to mean that we're not doing anything in terms of our own spending, and we know that a third of our spending is capital spending. So, thank you. Sure. Rachel? Yeah, my, uh, as I'm sure we all on the board in a 
community that uh, is weather dependent for a lot of the tourism have concerns um, going forward and uh, I'm sure it's felt across the west slope for that matter uh, but I know that I had concerns and I had talked to John about it in terms of you know what if we have a bad year can we still go forward with the salary increase and things like that and I'd probably better off handing it off to John to explain but he mentioned that the the calendar year for that when it would really kick in is further into the springtime so should there be you know reason to adjust at that major level we'd have opportunities and then also on these other capital projects if we're just not looking like we should be doing that uh, we, we won't and so you know as you said Jack we get the regular quarterly reports and we all can have a sense of where we're going and it's not as if we just let the budget run for a year without making adjustments along the way Michael, do you mind if I piggyback no, on that? Go ahead. I apologize. Obviously, we're having some technical difficulties and are now blasting Rob with a uh, strong beam of light there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rachel's correct. And, and, and I also want to go back to what John said about staying the course right now. As we've seen through all the budget presentations and such that we've got, we've got a pretty complex budget on both the revenue and the expenditure side. And, and the way that that budget balances has to do with how do revenues come in and how do expenditures go out. And historically what's happened, um, I think, is that the expenditure side has performed uh, much better at, at the end of the year even than our projections. So, I, I'm anticipating that we'll probably have more savings actually than we're projecting right now. Um, which, you know, if revenues don't come in because, you know, do, do we have a slow November and December, that still may balance out. And so I think we need to see where that comes. And then, as, as Rachel pointed out, some of our larger decisions this year that are affecting our, our budget balance um, don't necessarily kick in until a little bit later in the year and that includes our capital projects, it includes uh, the, the pay and, and that sort of thing. And I think if we can see, we need to wait and see where are our revenues as well as our expenditures coming in um, and you know, can we stick to the spending plan we have now or do we have to make adjustments. I hope that the board seen is particularly over the past few years that the, the organizations remain nimble in adjusting to whatever circumstances are getting thrown at us, um, you know, whether it be economic downturns or if we've come up with excess fund balances to be putting those towards projects and, and those sorts of things. We'll continue that. The budget's a plan um, on the best assumptions that we can make right now and, and sometimes those don't always work out. But I think the focus on just one silo of revenues um, and all the revenues that we have and then all the expenditures um, probably isn't isn't how we should be making our decisions right now. Oh, yes, Rob. Yeah, I'd probably add, if you look at 19% of our budget is sales tax revenue, the snowy year is really January, February, and March. So it's three months. They're good months, but so are June, July, August, September. <laughs> Um, and December next year, so that's three months versus those five months. So, you know, a drop in sales tax dollars will only be a percentage drop. It won't eliminate that 19% for those three months. It might reduce that 19% for 
for those three months. Um, you know, it's the long-term trends that concern me more, like, you know, Congress getting their act together with the, with the rest of the powers and White House getting their act, you know, in the White House or whatever, getting their, you know, with the fiscal cliff that's coming up and how that affects the high-income spenders that come to our community. That I'd be more concerned with than snow this year. And that's the advantage of waiting, as we can see. Do we have a longer-term structural issue, or do we have a potentially a short-term issue, which would lead us to, to different strategies or recommendations budget-wise? Is it your turn, Connie? Yeah. <laughs> Who fits the system? All-powerful Dwight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send a letter to Dwight. Yeah. Thank you. Apologize to Rob. You'll be safe to move for the next presentation. I'm okay over here for now. Okay. Thank you, Al. So next, we're looking at the expenditures in the general fund for 2012. And uh, at the moment, we're projecting over $300,000 of expenditure savings in the operations side. Uh, these savings are from a very wide array of line items. Uh, they're rough estimates at this point, and they're also very conservative. So at this point in the game, we're not taking every last little savings that we see. We're just taking very rough uh, very conservative estimates just to give an idea where we see the trend going. The trend is in a positive direction. Uh, uh, but as John said, we will be seeing more savings coming through as we close out the year. Uh, right now we're looking at almost $200,000 in labor savings. Most of these savings are because of vacancies that different departments have had at one point or another through the year. But there are two positions that were eliminated uh, as we were going through and looking at the 2013 budget, so positions that won't be filled. Uh, some of the savings are in health insurance also in the labor category. In general expend expenditures, we have about 241,000 projected savings at this point. Uh, again, they come from a, a huge array of, of different types of line items, uh, everything from utilities to media advertising, um, professional services, and on and on, uh, very different in each department. We do have 350000 of anticipated savings budgeted for 2012. So our total between cost centers, general expenses, and labor adds up to 320000 that's a little bit short of our anticipated savings. But again, by the time we close everything out, we think we'll have well past the 350000 uh, So that's trending in a good direction. Uh, on the capital side, uh, we're seeing more savings come through. Uh, for roads and facilities, Jack and GR are still working on fish finishing their projects and closing out contracts. So neither felt comfortable giving final numbers. Um, they're still working on those, but they were able to give me some estimates of savings that, that they're pretty sure they will have in their projects. Um, 
For the uh, paving projects, there was a very large contract that covered seven different roads, and GI is expecting at least $200,000 of savings from that, plus about $115,000 of savings from the Brush Creek chip steel project. Facilities projects, uh, at the moment they're projecting $140,000 of savings, part of those from the energy efficiency projects. And then we have savings in information technology uh, on the replacement side, and then also savings from fleet for a vehicle that's not being replaced. All totaled, that comes to about $568,000 of savings on the capital side. Any questions on the expenditures? Well, yeah, I just, if you could further explain the $117,000 admin fee mm -hmm. reimbursement. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't fully understand what that is and how that works into the equation here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a revenue, but that we put as a contra to expenditures. That's why it's on the expenditure side, not the revenue side. Yeah. Uh, we take all of our internal services at the finance department, human resources, the manager's department, attorney, and we allocate these expenditures out to all of our other funds. So the airport will pay a share of the finance department for the time that we spend doing their payroll and their budget and so on and so forth. Uh, we base it on uh, clear data. Uh, so we'll calculate the number of accounting transactions that occurred for the airport, for example, and take a percentage, and a percentage of the finance department gets allocated out. And we do that with all of the internal services departments. The revenue that comes back into the general fund from these other funds is uh, what is there in this cost center admin fee. So um, and the way I kind of think about it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is this is stuff that we thought we were going to build to other departments, but we didn't build to other departments. That's correct. Yes, we, that. budge, we budgeted that we would be billing an additional $117,000 internally right. to other funds mm -hmm. that we thought was going to come into the general fund, and we didn't, or in essence, those other departments did not use the services of administration um, legal or, or whatever right. those other allocations are so. And part of this is also in the finance department we eliminated a position and so our costs are less and therefore we're charging out less. Okay. Uh, so our costs are less but then we're also bringing less back in from the other funds. So for instance if the, if the um, open space and trails uses your time for something you would bill open space and trails fund for something that the finance department would do as a project for them, or legal or anything else, or the translator fund, you would bill your time to them to get money from the translator fund to support it's not the a general fund, which pays the salary of those people. It's not a direct billing. Okay. It is an allocation method. Uh, there are methodologies that are approved by the federal government and we use these methodologies and then it gets run through a program with a consultant that comes back with an approved uh, cost allocation plan. So Rob, we have, um, you know, in those items that fit into overhead, you know, we've been talking about IT and finance and HR and admin facilities, you know, our costs for those, you know, create the 
total pool that then gets divvied up among the various funds. And so as we've been looking at budget saving measures, we focused, you know, on these internal services. So, you know, finances had a reduction in FTs, and I think as you've been seeing, we've been tightening up on information technology and HR. And so as we spend less on that overhead, it costs our departments less in that fee. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's a, we've, we've gotten more efficient. And, and typically we're not conservative in telling the other funds what we're going to charge them. We don't want them to be surprised. More often than not, but at the end of the year, there's savings. Hence, they're getting charged less. Uh, in this example, it just kind of jumps off the page, uh, but there's really uh, somewhere in there is corresponding. Expenditures are less to cover that. George? So can I follow up on that? So, for example, when you look at finance here, and you look at an overage of 71000 uh, can you explain that? Yeah, that that's taking labor savings of about 31000 general expenditure savings of about 15000 and then netting it with the 117000 that we expect to get less in the cost allocation plan. So... That that's a net of those three numbers put together. Oh, okay. Uh, and yes, Rob. I'm sorry, Tony. Okay. I'm sorry, it's on a different topic. So that's okay. Um, and I I know I had a question. I think I missed it, so it might be skipping back. Which is kind of an explanation of um, the downfall in the treasurer's fees, because that was a big bankruptcies. Yeah. foreclosures. Less for, foreclosures. Yeah, and I think it's it's more about the reassessment. Mm -hmm. The reassessment valuations going down. Going the down. Fees yeah, is primarily the basis is that We we charge on the collection of the tax to the various um, municipalities that have mm -hmm. taxes, or or the county itself, or the state, for that matter. That's correct. And the valuations drop. We're collecting less, so we're getting less. The five percent number is less, That's right. which we're doing. Yes. Which we'll probably see, and I'm assuming we're anticipating going forward with our new budgets because the information we got from the assessor's office is that we'll probably see an additional drop in valuations um, countywide, which uh, which will affect the mill levies that are maxed out. It will, but it's in more out years. Okay. You'll be able to see that in our five-year plan for the general fund. Yes, Jeff. On the allocation formula, is that not based on expenditures? Not, not time, you know, like we project we're going to interact in so many hours. It's, in a, it's a formula based on more simple like there, the there, are number, there are a number of factors built in. Uh, for example, we will calculate the cost of providing payroll service and then take that cost of the payroll service and divide it by the number of payroll checks that were, that were issued for each department, for one example. So each cost is a component of many different so factors. So there are multiple factors in mm -hmm. the formula, That's right. not only it's the complicated. expenditure. Yeah. yeah, it's fairly complicated. Well, I'm being a commissioner for a few years, I'm pleased that this is occurring, even though you might see a number here. Mm -hmm. But it's more, it's efficient, and it means 
not only that we're doing the job efficiently, but um, all the things that make up that formula, um, the variables are becoming less, meaning we understand more about what's going on. I can remember allocations being pretty extreme in my early years, and only the last few years that we're starting to hone this, the numbers, as it were, and so compliments. Anything else? Does that, does that conclude your presentation? Yes, John? Yeah. I just had one item I wanted to come back to and just uh, make sure the board is aware of it. It's on page two of your memo under 2012 expenditures projects. Um, you recall that we budgeted $125,000 mid-year um, for wildfire contingency as, as well as outreach. We didn't end up spending those funds. Um, we are proposing here to carry those funds forward uh, into next year uh, so that we can go into 2013 um, with some funding both for um, potentially mitigation and prevention type of projects, maybe supporting FireWise, um, as well as continuing to have a contingency available um, should we have a wildfire and need to, to call in some immediate support through the Sheriff's Department. These numbers right now all anticipate carrying that forward, but it's something we hadn't talked about before. So I just wanted to call that out. Yes, John? Yeah, I certainly support that. The question as to how that operated. So are we saying because there's a $125,000 balance that we never had to access that if the sheriff's outreach actually went through public relations or they had a budget know. already yeah for for that and we we didn't oh, the need sheriff's to department that's correct yeah. and so we didn't need and we we anticipated that we may have to do more um, we felt like we had a, a good outreach program going we didn't dip into that and so we held those funds in case we had an event that we had to manage yes Ralph. So the sheriff's department or the, the department where this budget, where this money, where these monies kind of got put in reserve for, had a budget last year that met their normal expenditures, and I'm assuming they had a budget in 2013 to meet their normal expenditures in outreach, fire yeah. suppression, all of those things. I mean, the reason we allocated the $125,000 as a as a reserve fund was because we were we were confronted with an extraordinary situation regarding the weather, and and I'm I there's no indication whatsoever that we're going to have that extraordinary situation next year. I do think that we need to, you know, always have readily available funds for you know, emergency situations come up, but I'm, I'm not sure that we're facing the same situation in 2013 as we are 2012. So my question is, you know, why the recommendation to hold these funds to do outreach for something that we're not sure we're going to have to do outreach for? Well, I think there's a couple, you know, reasons that staff was looking at. One, the $125,000 is in my budget um, for, for those expenditures because I think you wanted, you know, that, that oversight uh, there. Um, we have started off um, 
this year with with lower snowpacks, and so we we are seeing that there right now is a similar weather trend. It may not it may not continue. However, um, one of the things that we were not in a good position to do um, last winter, so that we're already on the ground running in the spring and particularly summer, um, was to look at bringing both kind of you know firewise or, or mitigation programs to the table. And so, in the first quarter, um, the Public Safety Council. Um, you know, with the sheriff's department and and the fire districts are going to be looking at that effort for um, more uh, mitigation and education where the urban areas interface or where we have development that interfaces with wildlands and there's a fire risk. Um, we don't know, Rob, what what's going to happen, but we think if we don't prepare for it. Um, this winter, and we do have another drought situation, doesn't leave us the time to do um, proper education and mitigation. We would also then continue to have some funds available should there be an event, and you know the board can always, you know, pull that back. But um, we, I don't think we want to be in the same situation that we were last year, um, where we were coming asking you for funds in the middle of summer so that we could react to an event versus being able to prepare and be more proactive this winter so that if we do have another dry summer, we're ready to go. So that that's really the reason. Yes, Rachel. Yeah, yeah just to tag on to that, um, <clears throat> the very last presentation of the CCI conference uh, in Colorado Springs uh, was a presentation by a number of counties that were affected by fire last summer. And it was interesting because they had the nice mix of Colorado Springs and a fire that started the Forest Service, uh, Larimer County, where it's along the Poudre River and different areas where they thought they had out, and then a couple more showed up, and then also Washington County as a grassland fire. And uh, all of them could point to things they would have done better if they'd been more prepared. And uh, that uh, this preparedness element, I think, is really what you know, we should take into account whether this coming summer is a dry summer or two summers from now, you know. And a lot of it had to do with um, incident command management training. Um, I don't know, I'm sure John's going to evaluate whether we should send some of our staff and some of our departments for that kind of extra week training in the National Incident Command uh, Training Center. But, uh, you know, mistakes that were made about how to get reimbursed from FEMA because they didn't file the right paperwork or with the right documentation at the right time, how to you know, do all sorts of different things. Also, uh, as Dan Gibbs, um, commissioner from Summit County, pointed out, there are matching funds available from the state if you're able to have your own local match for that sort of um, thinning activities, creating buffers, things like that. But given the number of different fire districts we have, which all coordinate very well together now, and then just the high potential, I think it's really important that we get out in front of this. And I think it's a penny saved, you know, a, a penny spent and a dollar saved type of thing, potentially. Um, no matter what, hopefully we have a great snow winter. We still have huge fuel loading on a lot of areas, and we have a lot of uh, challenge to make sure people are aware of how to really use the emergency management plan. But I was particularly struck over the weekend that the uh, fire during at Rocky Mountain National Parks has not gone away yet, and it actually expanded 
by like three mile breadth in 35 minutes due to high winds on last Friday night. And they're just, you know, they've never seen fire season go into December, but they're doing red flag warnings all up and down the front range now in all the drier areas. So, you know, I just think it's, it's about being ahead of the curve. Uh, it's 10.35. We started a little bit late, but we're scheduled for 10.30 to end this budget hearing. So, Rob? Just real quickly, I mean, I agree with everything you said, but it seems to me like budgeting something for that preparedness would be the appropriate way to go as opposed to carrying over the $125,000, which was really for mitigating a major disaster if, if needed. I mean, budgeting in... $25,000, $50,000 on an ongoing basis for firefighter preparedness and look at that into our five-year budget to be expended, to, to be an expenditure throughout that period of time or whatever we might anticipate wanting to expend on an on a annual basis. I just, I, I feel a little uncomfortable holding $125,000 ready to spend on stuff that was put in place for an extraordinary circumstance. So I, 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 I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm not sure $125,000 is the number. I, I personally feel it's small and that we'll, we will need an ongoing budget item for it, but I think that, you know, twenty-five dollars or $50,000 is not going to get us anywhere and certainly not going to be enough to pull down any grants for that type of mitigation for fuel loading. But I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I think last year's grant was more than just responding in case we have a fire. It was for fire spotters, it was for communication, it was for a number of different outreach type of programs. Uh, Jack? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've come to understand the budget as having multiple components. One, the things you absolutely know about, and the things that you don't know about and you project and the things that you keep in your back pocket to protect yourself from certain circumstances, this one being wildfire, I project, uh, you know, excuse me for being uh, only a, a, a victim of what you kind of read and, you know, I'm not a scientist, but we're starting off worse last year than last year. And could we ever have another march? No, but if we don't get significant snowfall by middle December, we're way behind the curve. And this is an insurance policy. It's, and it's actually maybe not enough if we had a devastating fire, but it, with matching funds and, and all of that knowledge, uh, it puts us in a position not to take a huge impact. And when, we're not talking Waldo fires here. You know, that's beyond. But... Uh, I think this is really smart thinking. And um, bottom line, the end of the 2013 budget, we're going to have X amount of unallocated monies and to add $125,000. I think if we, we just did away with this, you tend to start losing focus. The direction. We need to be on top of this. And something Rachel mentioned, and, and I don't know about the circumstances within staff, but um, we do need to do some homework if we already are not knowledgeable about those kind of grants and things because over my time here, we've been, and I don't want to say lax, but we've been lucky and not had to face this kind of situation. And 
you know, according to the Saturday Aspen Times, No Nino has only been here since uh, only one other time in the 50s, and that was a three-year <coughs> drought. Well, you know, we're kind of inching towards wondering if that might be a possibility. We hope not. So I fully support this. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, the, so the, the issue really is just a labeling issue, it seems to me. So we can handle that, right, John? Okay, so thank you, uh, John. Thank you, Connie. If I could take just a couple more minutes, I would well, like to briefly mention the fund balances, or would you rather move on to the budget presentation? We have a long day ahead of okay. us, and I, I think we're just going to... Connie and John, are you going to do the proposed 2013 budget and five-year yes. plan? I'm, I'm going to jump in a little bit to so introduce it, John. So I'll, I'll introduce it. So um, we are coming down the home stretch on developing our 2013 budget uh, for adoption later this month. Um, today we have our final wrap-up. We've gone through our three core focus areas, so this is the final opportunity, I think, for us to, to talk about decision points and, um, you know, if the board wants to see any, any other changes. Um, we always focus on our strategic plan, and, you know, the, the only comment I, I really wanted to, to make here is that, as we've talked about, in each of our last three meetings on the core focus areas of our strategic plan, um, we have budgeted funds um, to address in, in one way or another every one of the success factors that, that we identified. We, we have funding uh, in, in every one of these areas. We're, we're funding programs to move the needle in every one of these areas. Um, you know, and that wasn't the case when we first started. We had a couple that were missing. and. and uh, so we've, we've come a long ways there, and um, we look forward to this final presentation to talk about where we're at after your input and position ourselves for adoption later this month. Uh, this pie chart shows the consolidation of the three core focus areas. Uh, in total, there's $73 million. It constitutes the total county budget. Um, I think the one thing to note here is on the left side of the, the pie is, is general fund operations and general fund capital. Um, together, those constitute about 42% of the total budget. And I think as you look into the um, kind of green section there, the transit sales and use tax, which is really tax money that comes through us, uh, if you were to pull that off of this chart, you would see that the actual general fund portion of the total county budget is close to 50% of the, of the total budget. So now, as, as you recall, we have three core focus areas, uh, the flourishing natural and built environment. Uh, this constitutes 50%. And again, as, as you see in that top piece, um, the transit sales and use tax is uh, 34%, and that's where, in essence, the tax comes through us and then we pay it out to, to RAFTA. So that would reduce this one as, as being such a large component of everything. Okay, let's go to the next. Um, 
here's the livable and supportive uh, community core focus area. It's 27%. Uh, the biggest piece of this is public safety. And the last is uh, the prosperous economy core focus area, of which the airport uh, dominates at 57% of the total. Uh, I think in this next year's presentation of the budget, uh, we will probably see a little bit more of a, uh, a spread. Like in the bottom piece here, the county administrator is 17%. Uh, Realistically, that gets spread amongst the other core focus areas, and I think we'll we'll do a better job next year of understanding that these are not just finite in one space only. Any questions about these charts? Okay, the next chart is the fund balance summary for all county funds. This is the whole county budget in a nutshell. The first column shows the fund balances that we project to start 2013 with for each of the funds. Then the next column is the revenues that we are budgeting for each fund. Uh, you'll see the $21 million uh, for general fund operations and so on and so forth for each of our funds. We then show the expenditures budgeted for each fund transfers between different funds within the county, and then where the fund balance will end up as a result of that budget. The next to the last column shows the net change, uh, whether we are using fund balance or adding to fund balance for each of the funds. In general fund operations, we have budgeted to add to fund balance. There is a surplus of $328,000 for general fund operations. On the capital side, we're planning on using fund balance. We're investing in different capital projects and plan to use about $3.6 of the capital fund balance. And then going down the list with open space and healthy rivers and streams and so on, you can see each different fund. So this shows what, unless the commissioners have any changes today, this is the budget for each fund for 2013. The final column shows a percentage of fund balance, fund balance as a percent of expenditures, and this shows that we do have very healthy <coughs> fund balances. Uh, the healthy fund balances give us room to react uh, in case there are downturns in sales tax, a bad snow year, or whatever it may be. We do have some room to react because we're keeping healthy fund balances. In the attachments that you have to the presentation, you receive <coughs> five-year plans for all of the funds individually, and so you will also see the detail in those attachments that ties into these numbers on this page. Do you have any questions on this? Yes, John. Um, is this on this page with the million-dollar transfer show up for capital? No, um, that was um, on the fund balance page in the last presentation. Uh, that yeah, this is 2013. So, yeah, so do we do that in the beginning of the year? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. So we start the year already having that transfer taking you place. Start. Right. That instead of having 9.4 million in operations, we have 8.4. And capital, instead of being 4.4, it's 5.4. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
So that was all of the county funds. Now we're just looking at the general fund. Uh, this is a visual representation of what we expect to happen with our fund balances. Uh, we expect to end 2013 with about $15.9 million in general fund, fund balance. Uh, we do divide that up into different pots, $4 million for reserves, uh, both the Tabor and contingency. About a million four is in reserved funds. And then we have 8.7 million in general fund unrestricted funds. And then about 1.8 million in the capital fund. Uh, this chart shows the results of our five and 10 year plans. Uh, you can see that uh, we take a little dip, but then come back up. At the end of 10 years, what we're projecting is that we will finish at almost the same level that we started, we, uh, starting at 15.9 and ending at 15.7. Uh, so we are projecting a, a pretty stable fund balance in all of these areas. Any questions? Next is the general fund operations five-year plan. It shows the revenue broken out into many of the different areas that we look at uh, so that we can project uh, with different formulas for each type of revenue what we think will happen over the next five years. On the treasurer's fees, uh, you can you can see that we are projecting in 2014 to have another drop in treasurer's fees, going from 2.7 million to 2.5 million, but then building a little bit after that. Um, so I think it was Rob who was talking about valuations and the effect of them still going down. That's where we've built it into our five-year plan. Down uh, at the third line to the bottom in the green column, that shows our net surplus for 2013. Uh, we've budgeted 328,000 in surplus for the year. And then if you follow the line all the way over to the right-hand side, over the five-year period, we have some ups and downs, but we do think we will have almost $200,000 of surplus for the five-year period. We do have some wiggle room here, uh, both because we have a surplus budgeted in 2013. Uh, we, when we come back with the numbers next week for a budget resolution, we may increase the property tax. Uh, Debbie just received the new valuation numbers, and it looks like we might have $70,000 more per year in general fund property tax with these valuation numbers. Uh, so this is a conservative look right now. It could end up being even better than this. Um, and so we do have a little bit of room, a little bit of a cushion uh, in case there are some revenue shortfalls and then, of course, reacting throughout the year with expenditures. Questions? Uh, Jen. Yeah, this is maybe not for Connie, but John. Um, there's a a line here under expenditures, labor, overtime, and we average 220, you know, over five years or something. Well, John, why do we still have so much overtime? Is that mostly the public safety or? And maybe, hopefully, public works, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
that, that's exactly where the general fund overtime is. is uh, most of it is public safety and then road and bridge uh, in case they're called in for huge snowstorms that will be coming our way. And, and Jack, you can see how quickly that overtime budget accumulates, you know, either in public works because of snow, obviously, but also um, public safety, particularly. That's a lot of how we're paying for special events to have enough boots on the ground and those sorts of things. So those, um, you know, the, the bike race, for example, is almost $17,000 there. And, you know, and is that considered overtime because it's over and above the normal well, it, yeah, it meets all the uh, Fair Labor Standard Acts uh, to, to be considered overtime. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Okay, next is the General Fund Capital Plan. 2013 is the largest year ever uh, in budgeting capital expenditures with $9.7 million budgeted. Uh, the lion's share of this is in roads with some large projects. We have 2.6 million in the airport business center plan, uh, 3 million for the Highway 82 underpass, uh, 750,000 for the Castle Creek Bridge, and then also the Frying Pan Road. Yes, Rachel. On the underpass, mm -hmm. a lot of those are revenues we will be receiving and then expending. That's correct. From the um, that's correct. We do have. We do have uh, about $2.5 million budgeted for uh, in, in revenue that we'll be receiving. So actually the general fund share of that is $500,000. Thank you. And just to put a finer point that we hope to receive, we have not gotten yes. confirmation, but if we don't, we would push that project. Right. Yeah, I appreciate Rachel's clarification. My ears were wiggling. <laughs> Thinking it was all ours, but you know, in and out, five hundred thousand is well. And Michael, just um, please, kind of just to be clear, that's in the EOTC contribution and the other government <coughs> revenue grants. Is that where that revenue? That's yes, we have. That we're anticipating coming in we to help support that six or three million dollar underpass, but in total. The that's right. There's there are CDOT funds that we're anticipating as well as EOTC. Uh, we have about 1.4 million in facilities projects, the largest facilities. Oh, oh I'm sorry. But actually, this might be timely because I, I was going to ask. It's kind of within the capital and, and everything in the 10-year plan. But um, we have moved over a period of time in terms of thinking about the facilities, uh, particularly Plaza One, mm -hmm. and held off on a lot of uh, energy improvements till we were sure that of a space utilization plan. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, do we have budgeted somewhere in the next 10 years for the type of remodel and reuse of this facility to make it more usable? Or will that be something we find the numbers on later and then plug in? Yeah, so on the um, Courthouse Plaza, we do have some funds budgeted next year <laughs> to um, do some planning and potential design work so we can get a better idea of what remodels. We have a small amount budgeted right now um, mm -hmm. to, to start the remodels. Okay. Um, but it, 
it, it's unlikely that's going to be enough to complete them, I think, at this point. But we wanted to get a plan in place, and then we can look at, do we want to do any additional transfers of fund balance or, or those sorts of things? Yeah, I, I was just wondering, is it, are, we, are we setting ourselves up in such a way that um, at some point that summer's roads plot projects will conflict with whether or not we do the renovations here? Because I know those have been put off for a long time at this point, and so I just wanted to make sure we weren't setting up a, a conflict or that one year where the capital fund comes down so low are we you know we do have about two and a half million dollars over a few years budgeted for the plaza building okay. uh, right now those are just plug numbers uh, because we don't know what it would cost or what would need to be done but we have plugged that in that may not be the full amount but there is at least part built into this plan uh, okay. So that there's some room to, yeah, to work I, I, with. And, you know, just for background, clearly having moved from the anticipation of a potentially new facility or new building for county services to saying how are we going to renovate this building to make it usable in, in the most efficient way for another 15 or 20 years, mm -hmm. um, there there is an expected cost to do that. And, and I'd also point out that um, as, as we just discussed previously, we may have additional savings in the capital plan that will add in to our fund balance that aren't yet appropriated. So each year as we, you know, we, we try and uh, execute our project <coughs> so that we have a little bit left over, we'll probably have additional fund balance to work with to, to appropriate either to roads or facilities or IT, wherever we okay. find our needs. Thank you. Other questions on the capital fund? Uh, this is a summary of the general fund buy-up request that the board has approved during our different budget meetings. Uh, we have the change in the compensation plan. Uh, we did have the compensation going from 2% and then accelerating out to 4% in the out years. We've changed that to 3% in each year of the five-year plan, which does give us a savings of 77000 over the course of the five years. There is one new position in the general fund, which is a um, in facilities, a skilled tradesperson. And here we do expect that that position will give us savings in the capital fund as we're spending less on contracts and doing some of the work in-house. There were two one-time projects, a variable message sign for Road and Bridge, and then a senior summit uh, in senior services. We have two positions that we've left in a pending category. Uh, we will wait to see during the year how ComDev revenues are coming in uh, to see whether it's necessary to add in and bring these positions back to the board during the course of 2013. And then at the bottom, we have five different capital projects that have been built into our capital plan. The largest of these is the fleet facility update, which is addressing some safety and space, space issues in the fleet facility, um, three different radio tech projects, and uh, some uh, equipment for the new software in ComDev. Yes, Rob. Just one small quick question. On, okay. the, on the labor stuff that we've gotten, we've got it on the next sheet here too, This the health insurance average cost. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding that mm -hmm. properly, depending on what program the employee chooses and the dependents and that sort of thing. Right. 
that cost could be as much as 30% more or potentially? It, it could be up to 29000 if it's family insurance. It could be as low as 12000 if it's employee only. Uh, so there's quite a wide array of co costs. What we did is take the overall cost of health insurance for the county and average it out, and the 16500 uh, is an average now health I'm insurance cost. Now, I'm that in previous budgets we've seen the larger number. That's correct. And we've, and we've changed that to an average. That's number. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Rachel. Thank you. Um, it, this, this may have been too new to uh, anticipate that the work you've done in the budget so far, but uh, again, at the CCI conference, there was a, a pretty detailed discussion of the potential cost increases to health insurance during the first few years of 2014-2015 as Obamacare is implemented now that we know it will go forward. Um, particularly, it was considered to be because so many people who do not have insurance will be coming in and using their insurance policies and fixing needs and things that have been put off for a long time. And so the insurers in pricing their policies for 2014-2015, we're anticipating somewhere around $150 per person type of increase. At least, you know, it's one of those go up and then flatten out type of curves because of the investment in preventative care. But is that something we had time to work into this or we'll work into the next year's budget? Um, it's actually, I don't think, something that's going to hit us because we're self-insured. And so our costs to, to those Cigna... more general policies. Yeah, our, our cost to Cigna is really... Um, about administering our self-insured plan and then we're, we're paying out. And so um, what's happening is insurers who are anticipating in their broader pool when you're fully insured, they're anticipating increases to, to cover that. Um, right now, our coverage won't need to change as a result and so it shouldn't drive that same demand model. And <coughs> our rates are determined on our own utilization not on a broader community. So I think what they were talking about, because I attended the same session, was for those entities that have a fully insured health plan where they're part of a larger pool. I, this is one of the areas where being self-insured um, should insulate us from that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Michael, yes, that, John, as far as uh, the work, cooperative work being done with the major employers up Valley, is there a goal of savings or, you know, number-wise yet? Has that been developed or is it essentially uh, an enhanced provision of care? Yeah. You know, so how is that? Yeah, so, Jack, what, what, how we've defined success is not so much in, in terms of savings but bending that cost curve so that it's at a less steep slope. Uh, going up. And so we've reflected some of that in our budget already by bringing the out years down to 7%. 7%. Now, what we've seen is communities, and there's only a few communities um, that have taken on the types of efforts that we are, but what we've seen is those communities have been able to bend their cost curve down to 3% or 5%, and so we're hoping that we're going to have more room. but. We, we had originally bu budgeted in the double-digit range for increases, so we're reflecting it at 7%. We've set a target of between 3 to 5% to make us sustainable in the long run as a group, but we're still working on those strategies 
to, to get there. But really, it's about decreasing the slope of increase. In it. I don't think we're going to see it go down. And next, we have uh, five requests from other funds. There are two positions that are approved for open space, an admin assistant and a land and trails manager, uh, an internship for the airport, and then three airport one-time projects. We have a number of changes to our employee count for the year 2013. Uh, the changes altogether practically come out to a net zero. Um, we do have 1.8 positions that are going away in the general fund, but then are, we're adding the skilled tradesperson in facilities. Uh, we are eliminating a radio tech services position, but then adding the two buy-up positions for open space. So for the general fund, it's a net change of minus 0.8 FTEs. And in the other funds, all the it's an increase of one FTE. Next, we'd like to highlight uh, some of the changes that the board has suggested during the course of our different budget meetings. And the first one is detox. And this one uh, actually got highlighted in the paper, I believe, today. But um, as we discussed, um, we're working to put together a new partnership uh, that really provides more of a continuum of care. And so in our previous world, that would have been what was offered through the Garfield County Jail Detox and then the services of the, the right door um, and, and providing ongoing case management and such. And so um, what we're proposing is standing up a detox and having a continuum of care through the Aspen Counseling Center. Um, as Previously, those functions had been budgeted both through the sheriff's department, a small amount, but also primarily through the Healthy Community Fund. This year, there was no grant request for the detox because uh, of the anticipation that Garfield County would uh, close down and then the, the right door was, was funded at 30000 And so what we have proposed um, to get the detox and, and continuum of care models stood up is uh, the $30,000 from the Healthy Community Fund that was approved by the Grant Review Committee for the right door, uh, who subsequently announced that they're closing at the end of December. Um, we've had a consistent amount of 10600 budgeted uh, in the Sheriff's Department and the Jail's budget um, for uh, detox services. We have 15000 in in-kind uh, rent. That's the value that we place on the um, space that we would be using at the Human Services building uh, for a two-bed uh, detox unit. Um, again, that would be linked with the Aspen Counseling Center. And then what we had added, the change, was $75,000 one time um, from the general fund um, to, to allow us to make up for the uh, shortfall that had previously been in the Healthy Community Fund. We had anticipate these would come back as grant requests in the future to Healthy Community Fund, just like we've done in the past um, for detox on the right door. So um, we are still working on our model. Uh, I'll be talking to you later on today um, about our agenda for the hospital board, but 
we are hopeful that we may uh, have a joint presentation to you and the hospital board as the hospital is a major player on what the detox models and treatment models shaping up to be. Yes, George. And John, we're also hoping, this is just the county's contributions, but we're also working on partnerships with other the other municipalities and other entities that will be involved in this? That's correct. And so uh, the hospital's been a major player both in terms of funding but also in-kind services, um, both from a security perspective as, as well as their, their medical staff. Uh, we've had the municipalities at the table. They've traditionally been funding partners at different levels, and there's a commitment to, to continue those partnerships as well as having the judicial district uh, at the table. Um, what we, the other thing we had anticipate is we really need to look at this funding model in terms of maybe getting something that is more rational in terms of a, you know, being fair and, and equitable to, to all the entities that are using it. I don't think we've stepped back and really done that for a long time. And, so there's, there's going to be some variations, but we've got a very short time frame to try and stand this up. So what we've committed to is to try and bring our historical funding or even a little bit better to the table in the, in the hospitals and in the county's case to get this stood up and then come back and have the conversation about how do we fund this in a more equitable way in the future. During the Healthy Community Fund grant review meeting, the board approved three changes to the Citizen Review Committee's recommendations, uh, 3000 to the Sneakass Wildlife Foundation, 9000 for Wilderness Workshop, and 5000 for Thompson Divide Coalition. Yes, Rachel? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, I think there was a, a, a follow-up of information on the Wildlife Foundation about their relationship with the Division of Wildlife and did they, or excuse me, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, did they approve of their work? Have we heard back from them yet or do we have any further information yet? I'd have to defer that question to Nan and, and, and Mitzi. And okay. You know, because I know we still have a little more time before we finalize the budget, but that was, that was a question, you know, mm -hmm. that there was support to go forward if, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, at least the relationship is supported as opposed to issues. Mm -hmm. So we should have someone call them and find out about that. Mm -hmm. Yes, Chad. There was a discussion about supplemental supplementing, for example, additional monies for the Wilderness Workshop out of the general fund. Has there been any numbers arrived at what that means? Jack, I, I think um, there, there were um, two discussions. One was on Wilderness Workshop. Um, the other was on Thompson Divide Coalition. Um, the, um, the Wilderness Workshop funding, um, the 9,000 is historical. I think um, on the operating side, I, there was still some question about the um, future use of, of those funds, and so we, we need more discussion, I think, on the, the Wilderness Workshop side. On Thompson Divide Coalition, um, you know, I, I think that is at the discretion of the board. We have um, the, the fund balance. The original request for that was $20,000, I believe. 
10,000 for Thompson Divide. Oh, I apologize. 20, I had those reversed. So 10,000 uh, for the coalition to participate in a study. I, I do think in, in talking to um, particularly the, the attorney's office who's been interfacing most with the Thompson Divide Coalition, that the one recommendation um, that we'd have regardless of whether the board wanted to look at a 5000 or $10,000 amount would be instead of giving that directly to the Thompson Divide Coalition um, would be for us to contract, be a participant in the contract and the study and pay that directly to the contractor so that we have some um, opportunity to, to shape the scope and, and also uh, re receive the same results as a participant in the study. It's a little bit of a nuance. Um, you know, as far as does the um, $5,000 make a significant difference in terms of whether that project is going forward or not. I don't think we've had a good indication um, that that it would, but they'd still like our, our participation. So yeah. I don't know if I've muddied the waters more for you. Or okay. No, that's that's fine. It's, you know, what it is is is. What it is is, yeah, that's a better <laughs> way to put it. Um, but I, I think it's important to understand what pools of money monies are coming out of, and, and I support the general fund pools, but those are things we've done historically. For example, funding the air quality study out of either ComDev and the or the attorneys or both, or you know, somewhere there. But I, I think it's important moving forward as this conversation evolves, that Wilderness Workshop, for example, ought to know where they're asking funds from. Healthy Community Fund, now this is historic, the monitoring, we've always done that, though the number might have grown, that's reality. Um, but the other expenditure, you know, the other monies they wanted, that probably shouldn't be applied for through Healthy Community Fund. I think. It doesn't help us in our discussions, for example, with the city of Aspen uh, about, oh, well, you didn't fund it here, but you're going out of your general fund. What I'm saying here is that there needs to be an understanding on both sides of the table about what they're applying for at a, what funding source within our multiple pieces of our budget. Because I, I think we can get sideways uh, by having it thrown up in our face as well. You're funding this at a general fund. No, we're not matching something or doing something different than we've done before. And, and that's one of the things, Jack, that came out of our budget discussions in particular this year was when we we're you know, looking at various entities, not just these entities that request money from the county. Sometimes they're coming, because we provide different avenues, they're coming through multiple avenues. And so um, staff has been working on just kind of a, a better tracking and decision um, matrix to make sure we understand, you know, are, are we getting requests from multiple avenues and do we want to consolidate those into you know, maybe it's more appropriate in the healthy community fund or maybe it's more appropriate in the general fund so we can have those discussions. Yeah, and that's going to be an evolving discussion, so thank you. Yes, George. Can I, um, I'm on a backtrack, right, unless someone has else has a question on this. Backtrack how far, George? Uh, not far. The changes to the county FTEs, um, 
didn't we approve a restructure for the IT and to create a, a new position there? And is that not reflected anywhere? That was a net because we had the what we're doing is we're taking the communications director position and converting that to. So I guess we we could have reflected that okay. as a plus it's, and it's minus. It's in here, but um, it, it nets out. Okay. The, the same and so yeah that that is something that uh, we're moving forward with but it was no net no real net change okay thanks but, uh, Michael on on that note why isn't though it noted here as a plus and then a minus you know you know we 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 could have done yeah. that I I guess that was uh, maybe that would have been consistent part because we took that um, position we did convert it so when we bring the budget back for adoption, we can note that. It is in the table of organization that's in the budget. Mm -hmm. It is noted that way with a decrease in, in at the comm director position and an increase for chief technology officer. Okay. With the 2012 budget, we begin to phase out the transfer from Resource Recovery Fund to the General Fund. In 2011, uh, the transfer was 270000 but we reduced that by 50000 in 2012. And the original plan, as you'll see in the first line of the table, is that we were going to continue reducing that transfer by 50000 every year. Uh, during the Natural and Built Environment Core Focus budget meeting, the board suggested accelerating that uh, reduction by an additional 30000 every year. So option number one shows what that looks like. It would be 140000 in 2013, going to the point where it's zero in 2016. As we were looking at both the General Fund five-year plan and the Resource Recovery five-year plan, uh, we felt that we could accommodate eliminating that transfer altogether as of 2013. General Fund Operations had enough room in it, enough surplus, that we could do without that revenue. And it gave more room to work on solutions for the Resource Recovery Fund uh, by getting rid of the transfer right off the bat from 2013. So the five-year plans that you see in this presentation are uh, using option number two, the total elimination of that transfer. Uh, but this is a decision point for the board um, that we can put it back to option number one or any other variation thereof. And that we, we decided to reflect the numbers with option number two, one, because for, from the general fund perspective, that creates the, the, the worst case. But as you'll recall, um, we have a history of subsidizing recycling with our uh, fees from other waste streams. Uh, with the downturn, obviously, we haven't had the same level of waste streams, so it's been more difficult to subsidize. Um, this creates a little bit more room uh, time-wise. It, it, we still would be in a deficit position, but um, it gives us a little bit more room, a little bit more time to, to try and adjust our, our operations and such at the landfill. And it just seemed like the right thing to do if we were in a position to eliminate that transfer altogether. The landfill is still paying the admin overhead fees as they should as an enterprise fund that we discussed earlier. These are different. 
So how does the board feel about that? Yes, Rob? Just a question. I, I guess my concern is when does this come back to us for like further review and, and you know, it's kind of a quick decision to all of a sudden make this change at this point as opposed to having a work session on this. I mean, I think we were kind of, when we were discussing this, we were kind of tossed back and forth with what to do two months ago or whatever. Well, I, I think there's probably two issues. One, we've historically had this transfer from the landfill fund uh, into the general fund, which is uh, no longer sustainable. Yeah. And so we're, we're just suggesting we're in a position, we've put ourselves in a position to, to eliminate that. And, and it's staff's, it's our recommendation, my recommendation that we eliminate that. Then I, I think we need to have further work session time on uh, the recycling program and the future finances uh, of, of the landfill. And so that would be something that we would be doing this next year to try and figure out what our alternatives are, uh, strategizing with the board about which alternative makes most sense uh, to, to maintain the service levels that we want to have at the landfill and, and to make them sustainable. But what we do know is, you know, this transfer has been in existence for, for quite some time. I think we can tie it back to, to some expenditures and improvements that have you know, been made like Jack Reddick Road and, and those sorts of things. Um, but really beyond that, we weren't seeing the nexus of having this transfer and we have a landfill fund now that, that's struggling to match revenues with expenditures. It made sense to, to eliminate this. And my, the key thing that I heard there was that it's no longer sustainable, but I think I would add to that and say it's no longer sustainable under the current model, which means, you know, when does the discussion happen if we want to or should change that model. And it sounds like that's what I was asking for. Is, is there going to be discussion about that in the yeah. early part of next year saying, well, okay, this is the changes we made for the budget. Now let's look at the model of the way the landfill operates. Right. And, and since we've had to make this budgetary change because of its sustainability to support those expenditures that come from the general fund, you know, now let's look at the model of the landfill and what's, what's the right thing to do there in terms of creating a model that goes forward into the future. Right, and we're, we're in the process of hiring a new director for the landfill. Um, and so, you know, I think we need to have time to bring that person uh, on board uh, to evaluate and help us um, figure out what those appropriate strategies are and then work with the board. What, what this does, is it really gives us through 2014 um, to, to, you know, identify and implement uh, a solution. And so we think that's the right move uh, right now. And then this next year, as we bring that key staff on board, um, we'd be coming back. And I wouldn't anticipate, Rob, probably given that we're bringing a new person on and there's going to be a learning curve, you know, that that's going to be kind of an end of second quarter, begin of third quarter kind of issue to bring back to you guys. Yes, Rachel? Yeah, you know, um, I have to say I'm, I'm kind of glad to see that we can eliminate this transfer now rather than continue to kind of um, taper off. And, you know, the, the background is there really wasn't 
justification for that transfer to the general fund other than that the general fund needed it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, really for services, as you said, other than Jack Reddick Road maybe recently. And I um, agree with what you're asking about, Rob, in terms of the new business model or potential models that we get to choose from. Uh, but uh, to me, I want to see, and I've, I've mentioned this to John, but a, a real breakdown of those recycling costs. You know, how much labor in the sorting do we need to sort five days a week? How much labor in the trucks picking up do we need to pick up as many times? You know, really getting down to cost to see how we can create that as a sustainable program. And as we've seen in a couple of years' worth of presentations on recycling, you know, it may simply be that uh, it's not in that format and that we've moved from the whole reduce, reuse, recycle mode to people are just like, hey, recycling's free. I can use as much as I want over here. And are we really getting the net effect of, of what you're supposed to have a recycling program? But even beyond that, when we've had discussions before, and I, I think these discussions will be much more fruitful in the future when we've looked at new business models and really can show the expense more clearly on each component of that program. But when we've talked to the city or other people where we provide recycling pickup to say, would you like to help support that, they always ask, yeah, but why are you transferring $250,000 a year out of that fund to the general fund? Don't, don't tell us it can't support the recycling program when you're, you know, you're bleeding it on the other side. And so I think this, this will put us in a better position to actually create a program that is sustainable in the long term and on um, the right footing initially. So uh, I'm okay with it. And... You know, if the general fund needed it uh, desperately, I would say no to this and go to the option one. But if um, we're comfortable moving forward two, we'll move forward two. I can. Board? Yes, Jen? <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm actually thrilled to see this happening because it really says several things about how we are doing business as an organization. I think we're structurally from the financial perspective becoming stronger more efficient as shown with the hundred and seventeen thousand dollars in cost allocations even and all of that um, but really this goes back originally to I think the early 2000s when we that downturn after the tech fall etc when we went out to the public for help with the healthy community fund because that component of our needs was not sustainable and the budget was in trouble well structurally now we've arrived I think at a point where we can do this and funds out of funds sections department every we we need and, and enterprise funds in particular need to live within their own means and I look at the future as being very challenging with solid waste and, and recycling. Uh, fuel is not going to get less expensive. Labor is not, and insurance is not going to get less expensive. But we must provide the service. But one of the revenue streams that we had in the quote-unquote boom years of construction materials, tearing down major, you know, complexes, all of that, that we're in a new norm now, so we can't expect that. And this is this is right, and most appropriately, it is right for the board in a timely manner to start understanding what is the business model that we need to evolve there. So I agree with all of that. 
Uh, Rob or George, do you, do you want to agree with that? I agree with that. Okay, so we'll go ahead with zeroing it up. Next, uh, there was a change in elections. The elections department had brought forth a BIOP request for a position, but then felt like with a little bit of restructuring within their department, they could uh, find ways of doing without that position. Uh, the board agreed during that meeting to have mail-in ballots for 2013 and the off-year elections. And then there was discussion on the board minutes and uh, Janice will be working on uh, coming up with a solution for the board minutes that is not just action only, but maybe would save time for the full minutes. So there will be a work in progress during the year on coming up with a solution that uh, is uh, fitting for both <coughs> the board and for the de uh, elections department. And we have made some changes to the housing budget. Um, if you look into the expenditure section, the board had expressed some concerns about the amount of money in the buy-down line uh, that currently shows $6 million. Projected, uh, we previously had $10 million in there, and we've pushed $4 million down to the partnership line, which is now $8.6 million. Um, and even since our last meeting, we've had a very encouraging meeting with some potential partners that we hope to be coming back the first part of next year and talk to you about. Okay. So uh, partnerships are out there. Uh, we're encouraged and uh, hope to see some things happen. Okay, board? Very good. Yes, sir? For a question. Um, well, and having just heard what we heard, we can always uh, advance monies and reallocate if a partnership becomes really ripe <laughs> and we don't, you know, we're way into that, meaning the next year's board, we can evolve there instead of doing the buy-downs. You know, it's a balancing act and you all will... Yeah, Jay, I think that's a good point because really we're just starting to mature into, you know, spending funds and, and building a portfolio of options and so I, I would anticipate that we're going to have opportunities come our way and we'll have to just be agile. The good news is we've got the fund balance sitting there and the board has the opportunity to adjust appropriations to opportunities that they would pursue. Okay, next steps, we are just about at the end of our budget process. Uh, next week, we will bring back the first reading of the budget resolutions, which established uh, the expenditure appropriations and then re revenue and expenditure budgets. And uh, then on December 19th, we have the second reading and also the mill levy certification. Again, this is the budget for all of the county funds. We believe that we've presented healthy budgets that leave uh, sufficient fund balance and that are sustainable over the long run. And if there are no other questions, that is the end of our presentation. Yeah, yeah a question on the Tabor Reserve and, and contingency. Mm -hmm. Tabor Reserve is a formula? That's correct. Because that number has grown over the years. Um, it's 3% of certain revenues. Certain general fund. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the 
right now we account for that Tabor reserve in all funds. So the Open Space and Trails Fund will have a Tabor reserve. The Healthy Community Fund has a Tabor reserve. The General Fund does. So, so and that's how the sum total has actually, in my mind, at least growing. What, what you see here, the 642000 is only General Fund Tabor reserve. In the other funds, we did not pull it out as a separate line. It's just combined into the total. Of the 642. Yeah. No, no, no. The so 642 is only general fund. So um, look at open space or mm -hmm. airport. Yes. So for open space, the $3.6 million in their fund balance, part of that is a Tabor reserve. And we just in the spreadsheet, quite frankly, got so busy if we put um, all those reserves in for all the funds. But um, we, we do calculate that for each fund and each fund has that Tabor reserve. Now, is there such thing as Tabor and Healthy Community Fund? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's a revenue stream approved That's by correct. the And it's a separate fund. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and the, the other thing I'd point out, just to build on what Connie was saying, you know, this is, um, these are very responsible fund balances. I, I usually cite for you guys, the Government Finance Officers Association, which recommends that uh, entities maintain 15% of um, fund balance to to appropriations, and you can see, you know, overall we're at 95% with 51% in our general fund. Um, that is a, a very responsible amount. I think it makes sense. You increase that that amount as you see. You know your potential, you know risk to, to revenues and and such. Which, as a tourist-based economy and and such, we have some elasticity where it expands or contracts, uh, or can expand or contract pretty quickly. And we depend on the weather, which is also always difficult to predict. Um, and so we we think this is um, you know very responsible, very healthy. It gives the board room to deal both with downturns or really significant unexpected events. So we're open to any comments, questions, or additional changes that the board might want to discuss. Board? Yes, Rachel? I did have a question, and I'm, I was kind of fumbling through my different pieces of my budget proposal to find it. I don't think it's in our... our um, summaries today. What is our annual general fund transfer to the housing office? Because I know we can't use our mitigation funds for that. And it's half of the cost of operating the office. No, I, I don't have the number with me at the moment. It's about 160000 isn't it, somewhere in there? I think it's a, I was going to say just under 200000 We can We can get that um, certainly for you. It, it changes a little bit. Based uh, on sales and revenues. Operation. Yeah, exactly, and, and what the gap is. But we're right around... 200,000. Yeah, a little bit under. Thank you. Yes, Jen? Yeah, and I apologize for being redundant. Now, I'm looking at all the funds for Tabor, and, you know, that number is within the, mm -hmm. the fund balance. Is there... But I have to ask this. Does the transit sales and use tax have a Tabor? I, I believe it does, yeah. um, but I 
I'd have to ask Tom Logan to make sure. Realize that. Yeah. So actually, and it's a very small piece of That's these right. numbers. Mm -hmm. But these are not all available funds for operations, as it were. Mm -hmm. In with, or they are all available with that one exception. Right. That's the better way to put it. Okay. And of course, different funds have different policies. With open space, they they have their different pots where they set aside part for trails and part for acquisitions and so on. So, board, do we want to move this forward? Yes, George? Yeah, I'll just make some com comments. I think uh, first I want to compliment staff and all the department heads that, that really worked through this process. Again, I think it uh, it went very smoothly this, this fall. Uh, for me, it was very understandable. And I think similar to the 2012 budget, again, as has been noted, I think this is, again, very fiscally conservative. Uh, we maintain a very healthy uh, fund balance and a reserve fund balance. We're still able to allocate dollars for the continued capital projects, roads and bridges, uh, facilities, IT. Uh, it still allows us the uh, flexibility to, uh, to adjust and shift resources uh, to increase our efficiency. And um, so, you know, I think it's, and, and, and finally, I think it, it, it reflects our commitment for maintaining a highly qualified and professional staff through recruitment, retention, and training development. So I support this budget and thank you all for all your hard work. Thank you, George. Any other comments? Yes, Rachel? Well, I certainly would uh, ditto everything that uh, George has just said, and I think we should nominate John and Connie and John to go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> straighten out this whole fiscal cliff matter. I don't think I'd want that job. <laughs> uh, so, board, are we ready to move this forward? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for all your hard work, attention, and, and time spent in what I know can be long, even though I promised them to be entertaining meetings. I'm not sure they always are. <laughs> So, uh, John, uh, this is an unanticipated early termination of this. Uh, so, should we go on to um, something else at this point? Memos of interest? Boyd, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I would continue on. Yeah, let's say I think we have Brian in the room, and sorry, it's taking my. Uh, oh, Brian left a little while ago. Oh. Is he still here? No. I'll put his coat on. Yeah, and we have the veterans' request. So maybe we can work through those um, that we don't need staff for, Michael, and uh, we can hold the rest. Okay. Michael? Yeah. Just to note, this the set thing on our schedule, which isn't going to be able to change, is the executive session because we have people coming in for that, which is at 3.15. So the more we get ahead, we have to come back at 3.15 anyway. Yeah, we just know there, there are a couple items I can cover with you if we go into it early. Um, separate from those people? Separate from there. Yeah. Okay, so the um, first memo of interest is the uh, Roaring Fork Veterans History Project. Um, they have a request in front of you for $2,000 to continue the interview 
project that they have with uh, local local veterans. Um, right now, the board, after the uh, partial refund that was granted last week to uh, the Komen Foundation, has $3,700 remaining uh, in your um, discretionary fund. The question last time, John, was um, I, I think, uh, you know, how much we'd given in the past and uh, what was what was the, the – Bob, you had some concerns about it. Uh, historical donations to the Veterans Fund, was that it? And some of this information was added, but the other question that was raised, too, was, you know, should this not be a request to the um, – the Healthy Community Fund or some other permanent thing. And, and, you know, I think the discussion among our board is, you know, the basis of this discretionary fund and having a, um, you know, last year we put $500 towards this. So is it, is it a reoccurring thing that's always going to come out of our discretionary fund? And if it is, my opinion would be to move it somewhere else in our budget versus... It's not discretionary if it's a it's, it's a regular item being requested of our discretionary fund. So, Bert, how, how do we want to handle this? Yeah, I mean, this is a request at this point. I think going forward, I think that's a good suggestion, Rob, um, because my and, and I support this project. I, you know, it's it's just a, a tremendous uh, project. I really enjoy uh, watching these interviews and. and um, learning about uh, are the citizens in, in our community that have served. Um, my concern is uh, we've given $500 and now there's a substantial increase in the request of $2,000. And, and is that uh, something that we're going to see down the road? I mean, this is a, a you know, where else are they getting their their funding from and where are the other partners involved? I mean, that's sort of a bigger picture. So, um, and, and in the past, we've always, uh, we're almost at the end of the year now anyway, we're always, uh, if we have dollars at the end of the year, we've given them to uh, support some of those in dire need. And um, last year we had this real emergency that came up with a, with a fire down in Basalt and we were able to uh, contribute a substantial amount of dollars for those. So we still have a few weeks left, and um, so I would I would suggest we we uh, contribute X amount of dollars. I'm not sure where, and hold some dollars back uh, till the end of the year and see how we want to f finish our allocation of the remaining dollars and, and make sure we haven't got a, a, a last minute emergency from the community. So the, the historical is $500. Are you comfortable with $500 donation? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Rachel? Yeah, you know, um, I agree with the um, general premise, I think, that uh, Rob and George are putting forward uh, that, you know, it, to see a request like this, it's, it, it's, it's, it's more usual to see the full budget to see what other funding partners there are, who else is contributing, what's being privately raised, kind of even what's the rate that grassroots is charging. You kind of get the sense from here that um, it's $200 an interview because they have another two people and uh, ten people. But it doesn't give you an idea of the scope of is it another 50 people over the next five years, is another five people and we'll feel, quote, relatively done. Um, 
what is the historical society putting in who are also kind of the archivists and I realize that some will be in kind as opposed to cash contributions and so on but it is awkward when um, there's requests outside of the normal process and it doesn't get vetted with the other agencies in terms of um, you know how, how is the how, how are they really being used after the fact and how often are they being broadcast and you know a lot of just the broader information I think would be helpful I am very supportive of the project and you know I was thinking of a, a, a number larger than the $500 you know to, to give them encouragement towards this I was thinking of either a thousand or fifteen hundred and um, that would still leave you know somewhere between twenty two hundred or twenty five hundred you know in the contingency fund but um, so in general I guess I'm saying I'm supported and I can see doing a, a larger contribution it sounds like a thousand would be fifty percent of what they need to do for these last um, these new interviews these ten new interviews so we have a range of five hundred to a thousand Jack yeah I think the idea as a discussion point about how this relates to the Healthy Community Fund is a good idea just so we kind of air it out. But when I think of who is doing this project and managing it and trying to do the work, they don't have the ability to do a Healthy Community Fund grant process and, you know, all of this stuff. So, um, and I'm sensitive to that, and that actually either they're going to rely totally on volunteers or have a professional do a grant. So that would cost some money. Um, I'm inclined to believe that I'm okay with the vets and the history project coming in, kind of making a request here, but I, I could never support the $2,000 request, for example, and, and that does not mean that I do not support what they're doing. I absolutely want to fund it. But for me, I really appreciate and am very proud of what we've done year after year at the end of the year, reaching out, and this is kind of the holiday season, as it were, <laughs> um, reaching out to those most in need, the homeless shelter and the food bank. And I like what we did last year of the uh, the fifteen hundred, the fifteen hundred, and so that would leave me. And and some might think this is premature, but I'm kind of advancing an idea. That would leave us with seven hundred and two dollars for this project, and I'd be comfortable with that number. But I really am focused on those in the greatest need. This the history project. It's wonderful, and I agree with George. And you know what we see on grassroots, that's fabulous. But those in need, I mean, that's called. It's not history. It's a day-to-day -day trying to, you know, live on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's where the majority of the money would go for me. So we've heard uh, five hundred thousand, and we have a median figure which is about seven hundred. Rob, I really agree with Jack's philosophy there. I mean, the fact that we gave 1500 to the homeless shelter and the food bank last year, um, you know, with our remaining balance of 3700 um, it would be nice to be able to continue that. I also like the idea that George, you know, barring some sort of disaster that puts other people 
out there, and we don't have to we don't have to balance this out until our last meeting. But I would I would like to go in the direction of being prepared to do the fifteen hundred, the fifteen hundred, and the seven hundred. So two for seven hundred. Let's make it three for seven hundred, and we'll go from there. Done. Okay. The um, next item, and I guess we can see what, what questions you have. We may have to wait for GR, but um, actually we've got Tom Oaken in the uh, audience. I wonder if we want to go up ahead to the investment policy. Yes. Uh, MOI. So exciting. <laughs> Tom, do you want to, are you prepared to do that? Sure. Great, thank you. Like an explanation, or <laughs> are there questions? Well, let's start with questions. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to define in the background portion, first paragraph. You talk about uh, well, and you're quoting U.S. agencies and instrumentalities, instrumentalities. Yeah. and securities. So securities, with regard to this memo, is specifically related to negotiable. Certificates of deposit, or does securities mean stocks? Those kind of things. Uh, securities, as authorized in this section of the law, uh, would be anything that is fully guaranteed by the U.S. government. And uh, I'm not aware of any. I'm not aware of any stocks that are fully guaranteed. Uh, by the U.S. government, but in this case, uh, the FDIC does cover up to $250,000 of an investment in a CD. Uh, so that's the security we're talking about. Rachel? Yeah, um, I'm supportive of this request. I appreciate your memo and explaining it to us. I have to say I, I'm finding it so hysterical to look at the financial section in the Denver paper and see the banks trying to make a really big ad that says our five-year CD will pay you 0.93 percent and the big arrow up here and theirs only pays 0.25 watch your money grow with us and it's like, but they're trying to make something out of nothing to attract some investment with these interest rates so low so I appreciate your being diligent in finding whatever small percentages you can for for our portfolio any other questions, board? Yes, Jack? Yeah, and so, Tom, the advantage here would be we could go to different uh, institutions and negotiate like we had been previously, but this gives us more flexibility. You know, like without Access bank, we used more to institutions, yeah. Otherwise, we are limited to uh, uh, approved public depositories for Colorado. Primarily banks located in Colorado or that have a branch here um, and that are regulated. Uh, and in order for us, uh, well, when we do uh, purchase a CD from one of those banks in Colorado, they have to pledge collateral uh, against it. And that's how we're secured over and above the insured limit. Uh, but because of that, uh, their rates tend to be lower than 
some other bank nationally. And as well, we've reached the point that we go out to bid monthly for CDs and there are no Colorado public depositories currently bidding. So <laughs> there's no one for us in Colorado. We've pretty much exhausted the banks here. Uh, there aren't, I mean, it's not every bank in the U.S. that issues negotiable CDs. It's mostly large ones that are doing that. But there's some interesting names, like Bank of China has a U.S. branch that qualifies for FDIC insurance. I kind of oh, yeah? <laughs> so uh, uh, there will be some interesting names on the list that we invest in. Just full of questions here, I guess. Um, okay, so now we would expand the possibilities of different institutions. And does that mean that you would do research and due diligence about the um, credit, credit worthiness of the banks? You know, there's that ratio of assets to debt yeah. and all of that. Do you do all that personally? Or? No, for these banks, we're relying on the fact that they're Insured, we would yeah, not okay. exceed the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar insured yeah, limit. Okay. Uh, I'm good. So yeah, we're not doing. Are you good research. with investing with the Bank of China, Jack? No. Okay. I so say I'm maybe prejudiced without a lot of information on that, but there must be a lot of good, solid U.S. banks we can go to. So, so uh, would the board be comfortable with U.S. banks? Or would you be comfortable with a U.S. or a China bank? I think hard to tell. As one of well, <laughs> well, I think to the best of our abilities, my preference would be to to find a U.S. bank to invest in. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell people that I want to invest in a Chinese bank. Yes. Yeah, you know, uh, um, I look at this as a decision about the type of instruments. I think that it's up to our treasurer's department to look at all the banks and figure out which will be the best rates for the community. But I think without incredibly deep investigation that the U.S. has already done by allowing them to sell those securities, we might find out that any bank that we think of as uh, has a nice solid U.S. name, Colonial Penn Institution or something, is actually owned 50 percent by the Chinese. Yeah. And so, I mean, how, how deep do we want our investigations to go about who owns what banks in a level, uh, in a world of globalization? And so, you know, I, I, I take your comment very seriously. I'm not, I'm not dismissing it, and I think that sort of investigation should go forward. But, it, you know, is it a bank owned by Goldman Sachs? Been better for the U.S. and treated the U.S. better than than others. Uh, you know, it's it and it. There's an irony when people always talk about the U.S. debt, uh, much of it being purchased by China. Of course, the U.S. is the single largest buyer of that debt, and the second largest, I think, is is Japan, or they're right up there on the list. So it's not all China, but it's it shows a certain faith in the U.S. that <laughs> that they're selling our treasuries for us to their own people and others. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make a knee-jerk reaction um, on the title of the name of the bank, but I, I trust our treasurer to look at all of them and, again, find the best portfolio rates for us. Well, that's different from a U.S.-owned bank. So all, all I was suggesting was with, with some research that we try to invest in U.S. banks. That, 
I didn't want to make it overly complicated, but I think there is available research and available banks that we can look at, and I'm just not interested in uh, getting a 0.01 better interest rate from China than I am from the U.S. Well, are Swiss banks okay? Are French banks okay? Are German or... I said U.S. banks, so... Okay, so only U.S. banks, is that... That, that would eliminate several off the list who are the highest yielding. There's Bank of Japan, uh, um, Bank of India. There are actually two forms of that. So basically what these are is, yeah, they may be owned, uh, and they may actually be a national uh, bank, but uh, they have a U.S. branch that is operating in the U.S. making loans here, which actually is the benefit and the reason they're looking for deposits is so that they can make loans within the U.S. here. Uh, so from that point of view, I mean for the national economy, that's beneficial when a lot of our big banks aren't are not making loans here. here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, if, if you would, I'd like to not be limited. Uh, it will limit our returns. I mean, there are only, it, it, it takes several banks because you can only put 250000 with a single bank. So we typically, you know, invest uh, in, in million-dollar quantities, so we have to find at least four banks just to do a million dollars. So, board? I, I would just say U.S. regulated banks. Yeah, and, and you know, they're operating here, and they're regulated under the same guidelines that the and banks are. Here. They're FDIC insured, insured here, and they're FDIC they're subject to U.S. regulation. Um, I would, my preference would be stated as if the policy would be to try to invest in banks that are based in the United States. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go there and uh, leave the discretion with staff. But, you know, when you're looking, you can do some anal quick analysis, I'm sure, about ownership. And so, you know, we have discretion here. And how much money are we talking? Three million dollars? Ten million dollars, according to timing, I guess, of the year, right? Part, what part of the year? Yeah, probably $10 million if we could get there. Um, I'm not sure there are enough. Oh, that would only be 25 okay, that would be... George? That would be 40 banks, and right now there aren't 40 different banks on the list that I've seen. Yeah, I'm comfortable with Rob's suggestion, uh, you know, as long as the U.S. regulated banks. I mean, the dollars that go, go to these banks, as Tom... I said, for the most part, or all, stay in and reinvest in in the country. Rachel? Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with that. And, you know, I think that unless I have this wrong from the premise of the beginning of the conversation, local banks and Colorado banks have already been used up in terms of hitting that safe $250,000 deposit level. And so we're no longer talking about whether we're doing business with this money in local banks as much as we're at national bank level. And 
Um, so if it was a discussion about do, do we take it out of local banks for uh, a quarter of a percentage point or something I, or less, I, 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 would, I think that that would be a different discussion than um, you know, watching out for uh, other earning opportunities on the taxpayer's money. And so at that level, I support the uh, U.S. regulated banks and fully insured. So it looks like U.S. regulated banks. Let's go from there. Okay. Other questions? Yeah, I wish we could get a quarter percent <laughs> instead of the difference of point, 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 point. Little Any further questions for Tom? Nine. Tom, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. State Farm is a bank, Tom, right? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know, but I haven't seen them on the list. I've brokered CDs. So. Yep. So, John, what else can we So, we had uh, skipped over a uh, budget supplemental request. I can see if I can answer any questions the board has. Uh, if I can't, I'll wait for GR or Brian. But um, basically, we have a what turns out to be a, a net zero uh, request. It's really moving between uh, different projects. Uh, as you know, we had a exceptional number of, of road projects and, and capital maintenance projects this year. As often happens, uh, some come in um, above where we expected them, some come in under where we expected them, and really what this is is moving funds between the uh, projects to, to balance out. Um, we had savings uh, particularly on Redstone Boulevard and Brush Creek Road. Um, we're looking at adding in for purchase services, which is really design and engineering uh, work. Um, contingency, the major portion of that was the uh, unexpected work we had to do on Snowmass Creek Road. Um, and then Woody Creek Road, GR had come in and during open discussion and visited with you um, that we needed a $185,000 to complete that $185,000 to complete that retaining wall project, uh, which is where the uh, $50,000 extra comes in. Um, these are all uh, within what we had anticipated budget-wise and, and are still consistent with what you just heard from finance about where we expect to end the year. So we want to go ahead with this? Yes? George, yes? Yeah, my only comment is, and I don't know if Giro is going to show up, but because we may have uh, a delay with the finishing of this project at Snowmass Creek Road, depending on um, any litigation or whatever, um, I did uh, hear from some of the residents up there, and they were concerned that we make sure that we have really closely monitoring that, that section that tends to be very icy, mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that stays sanded and... Um, and we're just aware of, of the safety concerns there as we move through the winter. Yeah, and I, I can definitely pass that on. And I, I know we're, we're trying to get it to completion, but it's difficult right now. So. Yes, Jack? Yeah, I, I can recall last year, beginning of this year, George talking about uh, some culvert work in was it East Snowmass Creek. Was that ever... Yeah, it never showed up on the radar. It might have been just a maintenance item, but it seemed something was bigger than just 
you know, some maintenance work. Well, east, yeah. no, Silver's Creek, there was a, a culvert replacement a year oh. ago. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't this year. We, we completed that, and then I, what I recall, Megan brought up that you're thinking about some of the patching work, which I, on West Opris, I think it was, wasn't it? The West Opris, which, which they've done. Yeah. So we've, we've yeah, so we're, you're, yeah. to your knowledge, we're good. Yeah. We've got that done. Yeah. Okay. And then the last MOI um, is the Ashcroft uh, ski touring update, which was an uh, update that was uh, required as a condition. My, sorry, my internet is <coughs> catching up with, uh, with me here. I'm having trouble with that, too. I don't know what it is, but it's not working. Um, if there are any questions on this, I'll probably have to defer to when Susan's here. Uh, Michael. Yes, Jack. Yeah, I really don't have a question. It's just a comment. And this, this item, of course, you're talking about is an update from Suzanne about the Ashcroft uh, Ski Rack Master Plan. Um, the only thing I'd like to reinforce, because when you read John's letter, you know, he's, he's very hopeful for investors or a sale, etc. But regardless of what occurs, <clears throat> I hope he gets a, has the strong message that he must or someone must complete the housing units by the end of 2013. And, and I mean, that's the bottom line of this whole memo as far as I'm concerned. But we can need to reinforce that with John. Thank you for the letter and remember. <laughs> yes, George. Yeah, I mean, just to follow up on that, um, I just wonder if, if John has actually done any preliminary plans because that whole process takes some time. And, and if not, are we going to get to this point next year and, and then what? I mean, what, what are sort of the consequences? I mean, like we had this, this discussion before, but how do we hold his feet to the fire? And I think you keep the fire burning essentially permanently and, and his feet to that fire permanently. That's the way it's been. This is a process that's been ongoing for 10 years <coughs> minimum. And so I, I, I don't really know what to do with this, quite frankly, because I don't, I've actually lost faith in John's ability to, to live up to his uh, representations. Yes, Rich? Well, uh, not commenting on all the process per se, um, because you've been involved with it longer myself. I, I support Jack's recommendation that we send a you know, mm -hmm. thank you for the report letter and um, just to be clear, here are the commitments that will need to be fulfilled by the end of 2013 and list those and, you know, <coughs> good luck and a good season. But, you know, you can't take preemptive action on someone who still has a timeline to run and just to, to let them know we're concerned about that timeline uh, because of past extensions and past, uh, you know, uh, um, grace that has been granted on this that uh, we're anticipating that the full master plan commitments will be completed uh, in a timely fashion. <clears throat> Michael? Yes. Yeah, and I, and I would quote, Aspen Ski Touring expects to get U.S. Forest Service approval for the plans for these units. 
So, you know, within the body of that friendly thank you letter, as it were, um, we ought to specifically ask George's question about in anticipating getting that approval from the Forest Service, have you done planning so the board gets a response for the next step? Okay. <coughs> That's okay with the board? Okay. And Michael, that's it, I believe, on memos of interest. And uh, so I don't know if the board wants to continue on to open discussion or if you'd like to take a little longer lunch break. Board? I have a question. I, I never saw our future agendas in this packet. Did anybody else get it? I, 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 I in our paper packets. Oh, I knew what? Uh, you didn't. It didn't show up on the... Uh, Website. The website. Did you get a microphone? No. no. So. You're you're right. I don't have it on my website either. But uh, anyway, I to back to your question, Mike. I'd be happy to continue for open discussion for another twenty minutes or so, and sort of keep on schedule there. Um, twenty minutes. Or open discussion, or future agendas or board membership reports, or yes, John? <clears throat> I'll look at uh, future agendas here. Um, there doesn't appear any work session time for a discussion about board appointments, um, you know, or committees, for example, CCI, etc. Because we usually did have a little piece of... Uh, you know, a discussion about what's proposed, and, and even though we have a new commissioner, for example, when I came on board, well, there was a discussion. Mm -hmm. And actually, Susan and I have talked about getting those um, added on. I I can't, unfortunately, pull up my future agendas right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. I can understand that. But anyway, that's just a heads up. Well, do we want to have a discussion? for the transition and preparation for the approval because it's on the agenda. <clears throat> okay, a second one, Michael? Yes. I was under the impression that my last day was the 9th. The agenda here does say January 8th, a Tuesday, the oath of ceremony. So we've, that's, yeah, that's we've now clarified that? Yeah. Perfect. One extra day off, I'm ready either way. <laughs> Any other future agenda items that you want to care to look at? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't got one. But Michael doesn't have one. You don't have one, John, so. Yeah, okay, so no further future agenda discussion due to many circumstances. Yeah, it doesn't seem like much. The, the board has not had an opportunity, Michael, to do um, membership reports in, in quite some time. We've had to skip those. I don't know if we want to get a head start on, on getting through those. Okay. Membership reports? Um, well, we had the presentation from Northwest COG the other day, and we have our end-of-the-year meeting this Thursday. I'll be down in midterm um, for that on Thursday, where we'll be um, 
finalizing and approving, hopefully, our budget. Um, I've got the draft budget. Um, and if anybody's interested, I can forward it via email. You can just email me and I can forward it to people. Okay. That's really it for that and RRR. Core? Um, with the core, we're, uh, we're going to plan a, uh, a retreat here uh, sometime early next year and, and talk about some longer-term policy issues that have been discussed here um, from the rent grants and to, um, to also looking at some opportunities to broaden the scope of core and, and, and to uh, look at some partnerships. Uh, Eagle County's uh, uh, organization, similar to core, is very interested in in be coming part of under the umbrella core or partnership and looking at some some ways to address energy efficiency and, and uh, opportunities throughout the valley since we're a tri-county in the Roaring Fork Valley. So we're going to be discussing that as well. Okay. John? Yeah, just uh, some feedback, uh, George, for a board member. Um, my homeowners association, Creekside Homeowners, um, are working with CORE to do a major insulation project, et cetera, and plus all the energy smart, you know, the $50 evaluation. And just compliments to, I know Marty and Tyler specifically have been involved, and these guys have done a tremendous job. We're ready to actually this week do this, like, $22,000 project. So compliments how it's working on the ground. Yeah, one, one of the discussions we'll have at the retreat is, is knowing that the uh, that DOE grant is, is coming to a, a conclusion here and, and how and if we're going to be able to, as a community, to continue to try to uh, continue those those services. So that, that, that will be a challenge. And it may be with partnerships with Eagle County and perhaps Clear or Garfield County we can do that. Um, QQ? Yeah, thank you. We had the uh, most recent QQ meeting uh, over in Silverthorne, or actually uh, Summit County, uh, on Halloween. And, uh, you know, they really don't know what legislation will be introduced yet this session to be able to really have much response for that. Um, the budget of QQ is remaining the same. I think there may have been some small adjustments between, um, you know, members, how many members there are and things like that. Um, the uh, main topic of discussion was uh, the oil and gas task force setback um, requirements and, and work. And although that really wasn't setbacks on water bodies yet, um, QQ does have um, uh, party status uh, through their attorney, Barbara Green, uh, and so we're able to kind of really be closer in on those discussions and negotiations. Um, the emphasis on QQ has been and will continue to be that uh, the state regulations are the floor and not the ceiling of what local communities and local control uh, can exert over oil and gas regulations. Um, they're in pretty good contact now with other communities that are kind of bumping up against this a little faster than we are, which, you know, frankly, I think is a healthy thing. 
that some of the front range communities, uh, Longmont, Boulder County, others are, you know, more testing the limits of the envelope with the governor's response on uh, what powers counties have for, for uh, oil and gas regulations. And it's really just keeping an eye up on uh, this session's legislative session about whether there will be, yes, as uh, Barbara Green says, whenever they try to clarify county powers, it means they're trying to limit them. <laughs> and so you have to, to watch out for that and go forward with that. Um, the, you know, various things have been kind of put off that were of concern to um, water providers and sand districts, and that was the uh, new nutrient standards uh, that the uh, state was looking at and as much as anything it was more about let's not create a one-size-fits-all uh, nutrient standard for Denver water dumping into the South Platte shouldn't then affect you know nutrient standards in other communities that aren't really experiencing the same issues or challenges. Um, the one thing um, I have heard I don't know yet what the outcomes will be but that uh, James Newberry, who is our current chair of QQ uh, through Grant County, was reelected, but there may be a, you know, some jostling on his board about who will be their water person in the future. And he has been their water person both on the River District and as chair of QQ. So um, I don't know. I've been just given a heads up to keep my ear to the ground because I'm vice chair of that organization, and they may need, they need uh Meet, find a new vice chair and move me up. So we'll just see what goes on with that. Um, and so that's kind of it. I can go. Uh, actually, I should go one or two other small water things first because QQ is water. But I was over in Silverthorne yesterday to attend a kind of mini summit from um, Basin Roundtable groups. So it was Denver Metro, Gunnison. Uh, I'm not thinking the South Platte was there, but some other relative. We well, attended Colorado in heavy attendance, uh, particularly around the, it was focused on the concept of conservation and how much conservation should be built into the, quote, statewide water plan. Um, people are still working uh, with the intention that there will be a statewide water plan um, given to the governor to adopt by the year 2015. And uh, conservation is one of the four legs of the stool, new supply, existing projects, conservation, um, ag efficiencies. And it, it, was, it was a good discussion um, in that um, we finally got some agreement that the plan should at least target the medium level of conservation. Um, that uh, you know, we've been pushing heavily for the high from the western slope, uh, but there are uh, challenges. Um, particularly the water providers say, hey, you know, if we're going to take this further, we really need state regulation. We need the state to start saying these are um, the building code standards. These are the water efficiency standards for new homes and new construction that, that individual water providers, uh, particularly on the front range, run into the problem of, well, if you have these high standards here and the next community over one mile away doesn't, you know, you just have all your leapfrog development moving around to where there are less restrictive qualities. Um, there's also, you know, I, I should point out that medium um, conservation is really about new measures that already take into account what we're calling passive water quality, water improvements, where uh, the cycle of people replacing their toilet fixtures 
and knowing that all new toilets that you try to buy from Lowe's or Home Depot or this or that are getting down to that lower and lower water use per flush or bathroom fixtures and that everyone will be replacing the washers, clothes washers or dishwashers with more and more water efficient. So they've already kind of built in what they call the passive savings and are now trying to look for more savings. One of the real gigantic issues is simply uh, will the West Slope engage in the same type of water conservation that we'd like the Front Range to engage in? And the, the talking groups were very clear that, uh, you know, how do we sell you have to do this more on the Front Range in order to get new supply from the West Slope, but the West Slope isn't going to conserve. And, of course, people on the West Slope side were willing to say, hey, our return flows, you know, those, those are important here. Once we go over the mountain, we don't have return flows. There's, the small water providers are very different when you have maybe 500 or 1,000 or 1,200 homes and not have the financial ability to do things that Denver Metro can do on conservation. And then this, you know, continual, you know, I hate to say roadblock or not roadblock, but of the independent local control aspect um, so that those communities with a better water supply, why bother conserving, why bother looking at better land use patterns that conserve water versus, uh, uh, you know, having any form of statewide concern, statewide program. Um, you know, it's been pointed out by others who really have been loath to even adopt this idea that there should be any state regulation that, uh, you know, look at your automobile gasoline efficiency standards and if they hadn't been put in place federally would we ever have started to see 32 mile per gallon cars and so um, that's that's really a challenge but you know I, I would say at the same time it still continues to push forward to um, new supply and so pushing conservation has been something that's been uh, and efficiency has been just critical to say look you know why even talk about new supplies until you start talking about really efficient conservation on the front range because otherwise they're just going to go after the new water and then who knows if they'll ever get efficient so those con questions do continue to just boil up and, and move forward so I maybe uh, leave it at that and the next um, Colorado Basin Roundtable meeting if anyone would like to attend is going to be on Monday, um, January 13th, January 14th. CCI, uh, Jack or Rachel? I think I'd defer to Rachel since she went to the latest conference. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll be brief. I'm sure some of these topics will come back up for us uh, later. I thought it was a really good session. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, John was there, so it's nice to have someone who can reinforce and check what I heard is the same thing he heard and things like that. But um, uh, there was a, a particularly good session on now the implementation of the Colorado um, legalization of recreational marijuana. And uh, there was a PowerPoint that I hope we can hook Lance and Cindy yeah. and John Ely up with. But, you know, I really hadn't thought about the very, very vast number of questions it raises. Um, things such as, you know, if a police officer arrest you for speeding and you have a half ounce of marijuana in your car, um, do they have to give you back the marijuana after you've been arrested? Because it wasn't illegal, but are they now in the position of doing something that would federally be illegal? And um, that if you were to pull someone over and, you know, the officer had 
tells a scent of marijuana, that doesn't mean it's necessarily an impaired driver. What are the new tests to find out if you're impaired or you're not impaired? And so they're going forward with a lot of things. The state's on a very tight timeline because of the ballot language in terms of when they have to have their licensing procedures in place and then when counties would have to have their licensing procedures in place. And so, uh, you know, it literally raises more, more questions than were answered clearly by everyone. Um, the state was clear that they uh, intend to go forward with implementation. They're working on these to regulate as it is with alcohol, um, but they don't have any, any role models for any of us at this point in time. And the county attorney from Eagle, I think it was, recommended that most counties consider uh, uh, either a ban until you can have a local vote in 2014. I'm not sure if a moratorium was part of that type of recommendation, but they were just very concerned about not being out in front of it uh, the way they weren't really out in front of dispensaries and dispensary licensing. And they like to make sure that they're not in a reactive mode, they're more in a proactive mode. Um, it was pointed out to be very, very clear that even if a county or a city banned um, a retail location for the sales, that does not mean that every individual can't have six plants for themselves or that they cannot smoke. So, um, you know, it, it's just where, where and how it's distributed and how quickly can you get stores appropriately set up. Um, something I hadn't realized, but it said very clearly in the ballot language that medical marijuana cannot, dispensaries cannot sell recreational marijuana. They have to be separate. Whether those functions start to merge over time in terms of closing and reopening, who knows. But it just, again, it raises a lot of questions. Uh, you know, it is uh, private recreational use, not public recreational use. So what if you're cutting your grass in your front yard? Is that public or private? If a neighbor complains or not? And so it just said that there's just going to be dozens and dozens and dozens of legal issues that um, the state will need to work through. That was one of the more intent, um, I thought, um, panels. There was a really good panel also on wildfire emergency management training. Michael, may I ask a very quick question? Yeah. Rachel, uh, I was not aware that that counties or maybe municipalities would have the ability to ban something. That that was in the language in in so what it, what it is, and, and just to go back on, well, what, it, it's not a ban on personal use, okay? Yeah. Uh, what it is is not licensing yeah. the, the various centers, including there's a new license that's going to be coming forward for testing, I guess, quality testing uh, centers. The state has until July 1st to adopt these rules, so I think we're going to have a lot more clarity. Probably, you know, you, you got to back that up. They're going to have to have something in May, uh, probably late April, um, in, in order to meet that timeline. So I think we're going to have a lot more clarity about what's coming our way, um, you know, April, May kind of, of time frame. There's just a lot of uncertainty. However, on the use side and the personal growing of, of um, recreational. That's something that we don't have the ability to ban, but we do have the ability to not uh, license distribution centers and, and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, well, this is certainly going to be a huge challenge, and I think in uh, timelines that dictate, <clears throat> but I think uh, we're going to have to stay quite involved, and this isn't about whether an individual elected official, I think, has the discretion to say, my county won't do this or that. The public, this, the Constitution has been amended. So we've got to figure out a way to make it work and make and keep it safe. You know, all that stuff and, and residents of Nebraska coming, you know, over and, you know, all There's that's got to be very well thought out. <clears throat> and I'd rather go slow than make mistakes. But the intent is to make it available. I mean, I'd hate to see every home, you know, those who want to participate. And I have no idea what percentage of the state population is, but I'd hate to see all this growing going on and every, you know, five out of 25 units of a condominium complex. I mean, I think that's where you get in trouble because people, because electricity and multiple plugs and, you know, all of that. So there's got to be a, a distribution system. Um, yeah. Again, we'll, we'll all be hearing a lot more about it. I know we're into lunch now. I, I would like to discuss at least uh, briefly two other things when we come back. And one is that all-terrain vehicle um, uh, potential legislation um, coming forward. There's a lot of nuance to that. So we'll, when, when there's more time, I can, we can broke into that. So, Bird, what do you want to do? Do you want to come back a little later from our lunch instead of 1.30? Come back at 2 o'clock or something like that? Uh, do we need to keep our executive session at 2.45? We, um, there, we, we have um, folks coming in for one topic. Um, I can see what their, I don't know what their travel schedule is right now, but there are items that I can address with you ahead of time. Um, so if we go into exec a little early, we have business we can do. Okay, so how does the board feel? Uh, I would just uh, like to just take an hour for lunch and then uh, if we can get out earlier from the, some of the exec stuff, that's great. Okay, so we'll return here at 1.30. Yeah. Okay. But what are we going to do is, since we covered all this other, is we only have open discussion and the rest of board reports. Well, so we'll um, take another large break. We'll go into exec early, Jack, because there's oh, the other items should yeah, yeah, reverse. Yeah. reverse yeah. say 1.45, get an extra 15 minutes on this end of things, because then we have from 1.45 basically till 3.15. We can go into exec earlier than You know, I know, I know. So. That would be, it's up to you guys. Board, how do you feel? 1.30 uh, or 1.45? That's I'll the go question. 1.45. Just to... 145. Hour and 15. Is that okay with the rest of the board? I'll, I'll have to get my cot out so I can take a nap. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I go 130. I'm going to do it for an hour and 15 minutes. Well, there's three people that say That's 145, fine. so we'll go okay. for 145. 145. So, you want me to help you with your cot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, put some chairs together for you. We may end up having another. Well, upstairs there's a couch. It's not long. It's especially yeah. you. You're way too I don't think Andy's got a van earlier. Yeah. Oh, well, don't, don't worry. I can.
Thank you. Uh, this is the uh, Board of County Commissioners work session for December 4th, 2012. Uh, it's about 1.45 and we're at, uh, we left off on our uh, board membership report, uh, but we have uh, a member of the public here who wants to address uh, a paving issue. Uh, he thought we were going to be talking about paving in general. Bob, uh, we've already discussed our paving uh, projects, wrap-up supplement budget request, but I understand you also have well, some... Well, what, what, what I would like to do simply say this. Uh, the road could, in... I'm sorry, could you just introduce yourself for the audience? Oh, my name is Robert Throm, T-H-R-O-M. I've been a... Uh, I've been a, uh, a person who's lived in Aspen for the last 40 years, uh, and I've been involved in many things. For example, the Board of Adjustment of Appeals, I've been on that for 20 years. So I hopefully have uh, done something to help the county out. I was on the, uh, I made all the fundraising for the, uh, for the, uh, so Mass Capital Street Caucus for 10 years. Um, and so what I'm here today to give you is, is, uh, is a report on road and bridge on Somas, the four, four miles of unpaved property on Somas Street Road. This year, because there have obviously been no money, there's been no uh, uh, gravel put on the road, the, uh, Mag chloride lasted less than two weeks because when they put it on, we, then we went through that wonderful rainstorm era that we had, uh, the last moisture we've had <coughs> in a long time. So that didn't work. And uh, so the, the best way to describe the road now is it's uh, uh, in the summer, it's potholes and dust. And in the winter, it's ice, snow, or mud. Uh, based on the amount of money that the uh, owners of the 11 properties that are on the uh, uh, four-mile road, uh, it would appear to me that since uh, you are able to pave uh, the new um, <coughs> cover over the project, uh, on the Roaring Fork has dropped to a million dollars, which is paid by the open space. And our taxes, as will be revealed here, over the number of years have been more than necessary to pave our road. I have suggested uh, many times over many years several options to do that job. So I'm once again going to give you that, those the options, and as you have time, I would hope that you would uh, go through this and uh, let me know if there's anything you can do. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. So, Bob, let me suggest to you that uh, hey, that uh, our county manager, John Peacock, and Brian Pettit, who's head of uh, well, public works, yeah. department, get together with you for a meeting so you can go over it extensively well, we've with done them. It, uh, and I'm more than happy to give together. They're wonderful people. The people that are in that 
the but division, that department, are the best. They've done everything they can to keep the road up this year, but obviously there's been no money available to spend on it. And I guess what I'm wondering about is the amount of money that uh, we have paid over the last uh, 10 years. Uh, uh, it would appear that if you're able to pave a new bridge for people to ride their bicycles over, it would appear that you may once again consider paving Snowmass Creek Road. Okay? Thank you, Bob. Thank you. So, John Peacock, would you yep. contact Bob and, and, and make sure that he meets with you and Brian? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so, we were in uh, our board reports. Um, we have finished up with, have we finished up with CCI, Rachel? Um, <clears throat> almost, Michael. Okay, I want to apologize for that, but there's one that um, is a little more lengthy. Uh, which is coming down the pike, and that is the ATV all-terrain vehicles off-road, off-highway vehicle discussion. And in October, um, by a somewhat narrow vote, uh, CCI um, adopted that introducing legislation on that matter would be a priority for this coming year. And there's a little placeholder for it. There's no specific legislation yet. Uh, I, I don't think it... It's something that really lines up with some of our issues and our concerns. But uh, the issue is that if they have the appropriate safety equipment for going on road. This is for ATVs, right? All terrain vehicles, off highway vehicles. Okay. There's starting to be a whole series of different types of vehicles. I, I asked myself, can we have a listing of the types that are covered by this? But essentially, um, the bill would be to, tie, to require titling, licensing, and plating, which actually are three different activities, and uh, insurance. And uh, the proponents would like to craft the bill such that it then opens all city and all municipal, all county roads to off-road vehicles who have the appropriate safety equipment and a licensed driver. Um, that are under 40 miles per hour. And as we all know, well, more than half of the county roads are dirt roads. Uh, and so that would make them all available. Now, currently, a county would have the ability to say you can go on these roads whether you're licensed or not. But um, most counties haven't. And I think we all know the challenges we've had with Lenado, the parking in Lenado, the trailering in, the noise and disturbance to the neighbors. But what, what has become the real crux of it is that um, other states surrounding us are licensing these vehicles for road use. And then because of uh, interstate commerce and the National Highway Act and highway roles that we're, we're bought into, our, our traffic controls and regulations are part of a nationwide scheme, um, the question of reciprocity comes up. And so if a vehicle is licensed in Utah or Montana or somewhere, um, by all rights, they should be then considered licensed in Colorado. And a case came out of Hinsdale County, Lake City, where they see a lot of ATV traffic in the summer, uh, where someone was arrested from out of state, and they uh, pushed the point and took it to court. And at least through the first two levels of court hearings, 
the judge agreed with the plaintiff that uh, you know reciprocity has to be recognized in Colorado. I have asked that that decision be forwarded to us, and I still actually haven't gotten it for John Ely and our sheriff's department to take a look at um, the issue. There was a good three-hour discussion about it at CCI uh, to try to identify what are the hot spots and the problems for potential legislation. Um, I would not like to see us necessarily in a position of lobbying against the CCI's position on any bill, but that is always a right that is reserved to the counties that you know you don't have to give away your individual rights to represent your community. Um, but the issue is kind of trading what you might consider local control for uh, state control. So no longer would it be 10-year-old riders on these vehicles. They'd have to at least be 16. They'd have to at least have insurance. They'd have to at least have the safety vehicles and follow all traffic roads, routes. But you know, I mean, that would mean ATVs and all-terrain vehicles. I think on Brush Creek Road and Owl Creek Road and uh, any any road under 40 miles per hour. And so, uh, there the proponents will say, what's the difference between these vehicles and smart cars? You know, and uh, but, but I don't know where we're going to end up. I think we need the advice from uh, our sheriff and from our legal department as we continue to make uh, an issue. The big question, I think, is uh, how well they bring in Colorado Municipal Leagues, because if they exempt all cities from this, then CML will probably stay neutral. But if they're trying to make it that it's all city and county roads, then um, CML may actually be the opposition that kills it. But the issue, at the end of the day, is not going to go away. That's the real challenge, is that there's a, a large and growing ATV community. Um, and more and more vehicles of all sorts are being created uh, to go on roads. So um, just wanted to make sure the board was aware of that and, and see if we can uh, come up with a position as a county. Thanks, Rachel. Any further items from the CCI? Uh, can you think of anything else that really came out of that conference? Well, uh, Thomas Davidson, who's the county commissioner from Summit County, uh, has moved up to be the president of CCI now. Um, it's a rotation pattern that goes by every year, and the commissioner uh, who was uh, slated as VP to move up, uh, Kelly Hodder from La Plata County, was not reelected. So they have skipped over to um, Thomas Davidson, and you know, I think that's really particularly good because he understands the type of resort community issues that we, we all have. Great. Um, uh, let's see, I'll be going down to Grand Junction on December 13th. Um, they're having, uh, the Public Land Steering Committee is kind of reviewing all of its past resolutions to see which ones still are timely or which ones need to be updated, which ones they can just get off the books. Uh, and that's in preparation for their upcoming uh, 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 work sessions and subcommittee meetings in February. Um, beyond that, you know, they, I understand Phyllis attended a, a very good um, broadband discussion and day-long symposium that they had on bringing broadband to rural communities. And uh, they did have an executive session or a, a special board meeting uh, for matters that they didn't get to at their fall meeting um, related primarily to the uh, transportation funding 
and the to-be-decided process that the governor has had. And um, from that state level, they're trying to still bring more and more stakeholders together to say, okay, what would you support to fix CDOT's budget at some level? And they are um, anticipating the potential of a 2013 ballot question. Um, the idea of a 10 cent per gallon gasoline tax is being floated, but along with other items such as supporting increased tolling on most roads, because um, you know 10 cents a gallon is about three quarters of the way short of what they need for any sort of real uh, improvements to the roads. It's something, um, but the, the crux of that continues to be that uh, the front range communities are. are totally running out of patience with the lack of funding in CDOT. And they are moving forward um, to produce their own sales taxes through transportation authorities, similar to we have in the Roaring Fork, although theirs would be for road improvements, not for transportation. And um, the fear, and I think probably a very legitimate fear, is that if you were in Lakewood or Centennial or Boulder or any of these communities, and you just voted to raise your sales tax, sales tax is where they're going with that, by a couple cents, you're not going to vote for a statewide transportation funding solution anymore. It's like, I've taken care of my roads. I just agreed to a new 10 cents on every, or two cents on every gallon of milk. Why should I now vote for a 10 cents a gallon gasoline tax increase for the Western Slope? And so we're really um, very concerned that the, the Western Slope roads will be balkanized and um, move forward. But it, the, the Club 20 discussion on that was pretty clear uh, by a lot of members there, very concerned about what the gasoline in tax increase would mean to their shipping and the oil and gas companies, uh, business for farmers and ranchers, you know, so on and so forth, what it would mean. But at the same time, um, they're like, well, we'd like to see the governor take a stand instead of kind of wanting all task forces or other groups say, and so they did not take a position on supporting any sort of uh, particular measure, um, but they uh, want to say we're in, we're in the game. We're still going to listen, but they really were not willing to get out in front and um, have their name out in front supporting any sort of funding increase um, at this time. And so yeah, we all know the situation with CDOT and how tight their funds are and how limited their funds are. Um, I'm personally a little concerned that, you know, we're really going to start to see a tolled Interstate 70 and a tolled, uh, you know, any roads you'd like to see improved. Or the, if you add a second lane, you can't, you can't toll the first lane, but any increased capacity can be tolled. And so, uh, you know, you may, you may save your 10 cents a gallon, but at the end of the day you're going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars out of pocket to use the roads that you're used to using today. So that's kind of where Club 20 has been working on a few of those issues. They also had uh, a health care assessment um, through their foundation that uh, Nan Sandine and Liz Stark and um, Dave Ressler from the hospital kind of helped coordinate in such a way that the questions would be meaningful and help inform our own community health assessment uh, the Club 20 Foundation had received a, a very large grant to do uh, assessment of healthcare needs on the Western Slope. And so that was a, a nice session that they had about two weeks ago up here at the Health and Human Service Building. Uh, the uh, Colorado Roundtable? Uh, as I said uh, a little earlier, kind of combined it with QQ. 
We did just meet in Silverthorne yesterday, um, and we'll be meeting again in January. Um, the concern I have expressed before, it's still kind of uh, continuing to ramp up on the horizon, is that with the 2015 target date of having a statewide water plan, some basins are promoting the idea of some early action items or let's, let's put in place these, quote, no regrets policy so nothing is done that we would regret later and would inhibit statewide water planning. And to that end, they're very concerned about not allowing future designations of wild and scenic, not allowing future designation of uh, threatened or endangered species, and uh, not allowing further recreational in-channel diversions. So uh, from a West Slope perspective, uh, those look like policies that uh, are not no regrets policies, but that may be great regret policies. Uh, but they are being framed and put forward that way by the Front Range water providers who um, don't want anything to inhibit future new supply development programs from the West Slope. Okay, uh, Ruapa, the, we're going to have a meeting this this Wednesday, so. And I forwarded to you Mark Fuller's outline of the debt repayment. So. Yeah, appreciate that, Michael. Michael, yes, on, on uh, Rudai Water and Power, um, has the authority been involved in this potential sale to multiple entities to pay off the debt for the reservoir? You know, have you had, as an agenda item, discussed that? Well, we had a representative in front of us, but we haven't discussed it. And Rudai doesn't own the water. It just operates the, the hydropower, really. Right, but it's got a lot to do with uh, you know, the operation, which is the stream flow, which is the tourist economy, which is the board has been involved in. So, yeah, you know, really the the, the problem is that they're they're just advisory in, in most ways. And so. Although we've been kept abreast of all those developments, we don't have any veto power. We don't have any budgetary power. We don't have any power really, other than the power of of contributing to the discussion. So. I think. Yeah, the, the unfortunate thing I see now, paying the debt is good, but with all these entities purchasing water. One of the critical issues for the frying pan, town of Basalt, of course, is the economy, flows, fishermen, all of that. And what would it mean? Will there still be coordinated releases? Because I have no idea how this water right fits. You know, this is round two or whatever. Maybe they'll call it round three, but essentially all the water would be, pay, you know, bought. Yeah. So what does that mean in the operation down the road as far as flows? So that's something that needs to at least we need to be aware of it as a board. Yeah. Uh, you raise a good point, Jack, because I, I, I'm actually not entirely sure if they've already done the NEPA on the delivery of the round two sales or they haven't. But the NEPA would be where you could interject concerns on the health of the frying pan. Uh, in past conversations with Bureau of Reclamation, they've really held out that, hey, that 
that's a different issue. We have two different branches because the the endangered fish water solution involved root eye involved when those releases would be, and they do try to stay below that 300 or 350 CFS in the summer, but <coughs> they, they won't commit to it. They won't commit that, you know, that's it for now with 10825, but if all these contracts all get called at the exact same time, I don't know what, how and what they will do. Yeah, well, I would like to suggest, and, you know, you carry the ball as you wish, Michael, but you might add, pose that question at a board meeting, well, what is, how will we be involved in the operations of these ultimate purchases, you know, what will result in the operations, the stream flow? Because we have always, when I was on the board, uh, we've had to be in a very defensive position so the river wouldn't get scoured, literally. I agree. Well, we have been in those discussions, and we have been asking those questions. And, you know, in, in the final analysis, root eye water and power, as I said before, can't veto anything. So it's just a part of asking that. The town of Basalt is threatened more than anyone else, and they have a new member on, Rick Stevens is on, the, and he's coming up to speed on that issue. But the town of Basalt faces a real crisis in terms of the flows coming down the frying pan from Ruda, and they need to, they're the ones who really actually do have some, um, something at stake, and they need to speak up about it, so. And when, the way we operated, we negotiated, were involved, etc. we ended up at 300 CFS, and, um, you know, though the town certainly is impacted for the reasons of economy and recreation and all that, by standing together as a board, you have certainly a, a much larger voice than the singular town municipality. No, I, the difficulty is that that there's towns downstream on the Roy Fork that would like to have more flows. So you you run the risk of splitting the board on those issues. So, uh, uh, Acra couldn't make the last meeting because we had a conflict here. So. Um, and RAFTA, I did make the last meeting, George. There was a budgetary approval. Mm -hmm. budget, the budget was approved for the coming year. And um, I can't think of anything else that was really. Was there an update on the BRT? Um, a brief update, but I just, just for people to know that there are at least two of the new BRT stations are operable now. I got on the new one in Basalt, which yeah. was great, and I noticed the new one was open at Buttermilk. I didn't notice at the airport business center, but they're up and running, which is great. But but BRT isn't running. No, the, the park and ride and the new uh, bus stations. Uh, Nordic Council? Uh, we didn't. We met, but there wasn't much going on. We just talked about the project from last summer where we participated with the city of Aspen in terms of uh, putting, uh, planting some new trees on the Aspen golf course and substantial size trees uh, to help with uh, shading to, to help preserve snow when, if and when it gets snow. So that was a good project. Uh, in a mountain TPR? I did not go to the last meeting. Brian went, and I don't think there was anything substantial. Not that he reported that was discussed. 
Um, BOCC open discussion. Any open discussion items? Um, <clears throat> I've got a few items for you. Um, one, George, apparently at the last meeting you requested information about the TARP, um, which uh, Gary Tannenbaum gave us a, a quick response and invited more discussion if, if you wanted to have it. But uh, they used to put up um, plywood, and that was more intrusive into the um, breakered body of the structure. Um, they feel like the uh, TARP is um, going to provide the, the same level of protection without being so intrusive. They are going to make some improvements to straighten it out so that it um, looks uh, a little bit less like it's just hanging like a like a curtain. But um, this was the TARP on what? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm, oh, I apologize. This is you and I both weren't here. It's on the MS store okay. uh, building, and it's to protect the brickwork from salt and such as, as they're plowing. So I don't know if that, George, answers your question or if you want more. No, I mean, I just I just think it looks kind of shabby. And um, I understand the, the, the issue with the plywood. I, and I was just curious if, if they looked at doing like a plexiglass that they could leave up for a while. And you could still see through the plexiglass and see the doors and see the structure and was still protective uh, against the snow plow unless it was going to, again, have the similar pro problem as plywood in terms of uh, adhering to that brick well, door surface. I think you have the adherence, and also it tends to happen with plexiglass when you're getting that kind of material from plows and such, as it turns white. Mm -hmm. it, it, it loses its translucency. It gets yeah, scratched yeah, up, and, um, and it probably wouldn't look a whole lot better. Um, it's, it's, I know it's an issue. It's a problem. It's yeah. we're trying. I know Open Space has been trying to discuss this issue with CDOT to see if they can come up with a, mm -hmm. uh, a remedy for this because it's it's we're just doing sort of a haphazardly uh, protection which needs to be done. But it just looks you know, we've got a lot invested into this uh, historic building. It's 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 the entrance you see when you first come into Picking County, and we should be proud of it. it We've done such a great job in terms of restoring it. It's just a throw a tarp over the front of it. Just <clears throat> let's let's put that on our discussion for our joint meeting December 18th with the with Open Space and Trails and get a real report on what alternatives they've looked into, what they're planning for the future, and if this is going to be a permanent fixture of their preservation program. Jack, and I also have some experience. Uh, very heavy mill visqueen clear, you know, thicker, not the, mm -hmm. some of the paper bag <laughs> uh, weight, but uh, that, that could work and it would allow what you're looking at. If you had it high enough, um, I don't think it'd be intrusive. What you've brought up and I've since seen really does look pretty ugly. I mean, anyone that's seen it, you go, you know, so I think a little more thought and some action might accomplish this. Okay. I'd be interested to see if there's any sort of sealants that they can put on the bricks that would be approved by the historical society. It might have the same effect, although you'd have to reseal them periodically. Well, you still want, I, excuse me for interrupting, John, you, <coughs> bricks are always sealed anyway, and it should be periodic, you know, because that's a heavy use anyway, just even in the rain, you know, and much less snow. But I think it probably does need another protection, for sure. 
Uh, any further open discussion on your yeah, question? Yeah, uh, just want to update you guys. Uh, Snowmass Village last night met on the EOTC um, funding, and uh, they they did approve the funding moving forward for the underpass uh, design and engineering. Um, and on Ruby Park, they approved the funding, um, but to come out of a different lockbox, out of the entrance to Aspen lockbox. So that discussion is going to need to come back to the whole group again. And I think you know what their overall discussion or, or concern uh, really had to do with was governance issues, like how we're making the decisions, and yeah, they will have an EOTC meeting and be going one direction, then it comes back to the individual entities, and any one of the individual entities may choose uh, a, a different direction, which is kind of what happened with the uh, Ruby Park project to a certain degree. And so <clears throat> I think they're going to be looking for um, not only a, a discussion on that particular Ruby Park issue, but I suspect a, a broader discussion about is there a better way for us to make these decisions so that the the ball doesn't move so far from when it goes to the holy OTC meeting to the individual uh, communities. So I just wanted to give you an update on that because I know that it uh, come up. That's going to be so. a hard one because then you've taken discretion away from the boards who are supposed to be able to make decisions incrementally. So it, it's not going to, yeah. <clears throat> um, on that topic, John, it, it may be worthwhile for staff to explore um, setting up a, uh, a retreat time, which we had a retreat a few years ago. And um, this is a, this idea, this, this topic of governance is broad enough topic that I think we need to allow uh, some quality time in terms of discussing it versus just at a regular EOTC meeting. I, I agree. You know, and I, I brought it up when we were looking at the resolution. What does the decision out of this lockbox or that lockbox mean over the longer 10 years of the fund because of, uh, you know, how much the lockbox get repaid for the initial setup of the capital pool um, could affect how much money is available long term towards Snowmass for the free bus service. You know, and so Tom had said this only went five years because that's about as far as we felt like we really had long-term agreement. But it, it's always awkward when you don't know what the implications are of what you, what you're doing and where it might leave you in five years. So I would I would certainly support something like that going forward as well. Okay. Okay. Um, last item, just a, a quick update. Um, I've had an opportunity to sit down uh, both uh, with Adam Frisch and Steve Scadron. It sounds like they'll be the representatives um, to have the Health and Human Services funding discussion. Um, Nan is, is working on representatives uh, from the pod. The timing of the discussion, um, we still need to talk to the city about. Um, I think one council member is thinking December, the other is thinking January. I don't think there's anything um, so pressing right now with the exception of, you know, would the city consider um, the, the 75000 from our general fund that we're putting towards detox as, you know, a, a match for them to up their funding for, for the one year. Um, but really this is turning into a next year 
um, I think, kind of funding issue. And so I, I think as long as we have time to have our discussions and come to whatever resolution is going to come out of those by May or June as we're going into our next, next budget cycle, that's probably the timeline that we need to be worrying about. May, okay. I, may I clarify? Um, John, and I think I, I've heard this, but is it 75000 the city is putting up if it's matched? So the it, at the last meeting, and, and we still need to get clarification on exactly the, the decision that was made, but um, what sounded like came out of their last meeting when Rachel and I were there was that um, for 2013, the city is going to put in $300,000 uh, for nonprofit funding and would match the county dollar for dollar um, to get back up to the 380. And so if we were pulling from our general fund uh, to, to do that. And so we basically stepped back and said, well, you know, we'll go through our budget process and, you know, we'll, we'll work through and if there is appropriate um, services that would be funded out of our general fund, we'll make those decisions and then, you know, if in fact we have those, we'll bring them back to you. You can make your own appropriations decisions. And so, um, per our conversation earlier today, we're putting 75000 in to support the startup of this. Was that in the budget? Detox. That, yeah, that the was detox part of our discussion today. Oh, the detox. So, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. And so now the question is, okay, um, we're, we're putting this up out of our general fund. Are you guys going to look at appropriating more? And that'll have to be a decision they make. That's all I have on open discussion. Board, any open discussion? Yes, Rachel. Okay. Yeah. Um, my uh, term for representing uh, Colorado Counties Inc. at the National Association of Counties level for the Public Land Steering Committee uh, will be up, or is up essentially. And there will be a vote in January for both all the new chairs and vice chairs of the various CCI steering committees who have some level of expense of paid to go to the NACO meetings, as well as the Public Land Steering Committee. Um, and so in order to put your name in for uh, consideration on that vote in January, you have to have your board support to continue in that position. And so I just wanted to reaffirm with my board that it would be um, supported if I put my name in. It's the same type of travel commitment that I've um, carried out over the past two years. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry when I have to miss meetings here, but I think it can be important to kind of that national dialogue about how it affects our public lands and the information I'm able to bring back. So just want you guys' blessing to continue. And you need a letter verbal or do you need a letter? I was going to ask, do you need a letter to that effect? I don't believe so, but I can double check. They have tried to improve some of the processes for chair and vice chair um, nominations. I don't think it affects public lands, but if you're interested in serving in those positions, you need to uh, put in kind of a letter of application by December 21st and list some of your past experience and why you'd like to serve. And, they're trying to make it more transparent than it's been before because uh, before it was just nominations from the table at the time of the meeting and really no chance to do any sort of 
comparison of who should serve or why or what they bring to, to the post uh, other than just uh, whether you have an R or D behind your name. And so uh, we're, we're hopeful that will be a, a better and more open process and lead to more bipartisanship. But I, I will check and see if we need a letter. Okay. Is that going to be your question, Jack? Mm -hmm. No, I was just going to ask if she needed a letter because I didn't remember about her yeah. support. So she'll follow through. Okay. So Sorry. do we support it? Yes. Thank you. So if the letter is necessary, we'll get a letter. Yep. Um, any further open discussion? George? Uh, two things. One, go back to uh, future agenda since I had a chance to look at this. Oh, okay. Um, t tomorrow's, uh, actually tomorrow's regular meeting uh, we have under public, uh, under the public agenda. Uh, we open have the, discussion. Uh, no, we have three different res resolutions. And the first is the airport master plan, and then it's followed by uh, two IGAs with Chris Bull. And I was just wondering whether we should flip flop those and Chris can get in and out quickly because I'm sure the airport master plan discussion will go on for some time. We, we could definitely do that at the beginning of the meeting. If Pardon me? Changing the order to put the airport at the okay. end. We support that, right? Yes. Board? And so you'll let Chris Bull know. He can get his business done and go back to his fleet. Yeah. So um, any other? Yeah, yeah. And then on December 18th, we have our joint meeting with uh, Open Space and Trails. I noticed a lunch break. Is that going to be a working lunch with Open Space and Trails? Typically, we've done that because uh, we've always run out of time. Agenda. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, usually we kind of play it where we bring a lunch in okay. and if we need the time. Okay. And then last, um, I'm, we all got the uh, the great uh, comment letter that Chris Selden did uh, regarding the U.S. Forest Service DEIS process. Is that something we're going to, that's already been sent in, but do we have any discussion points on that? Conversation. If, if you want, we, we we weren't bringing it back since it's already been sent in. But if you'd like to, if, if it's the board's desire to revisit that, we can. George, you want to revisit it? Well, I, I just was curious whether the board wanted to discuss. It. I thought it was yeah. really well done. My only comment would be that I know uh, he just copied uh, Steve Bennett and uh, Scott Fitzwilliams, and I just wonder whether we should be sending that uh, up the ladder as well. It was it was such a great yeah. uh, letter in terms of comments. It was it was so in, inclusive that I think it wouldn't hurt to send it to uh, the BLM director, uh, perhaps uh, Harris Sherman, the undersecretary for Department of Ag. And it may be worth a discussion with Chris because I know he's been very strategic about um, the comments and and where they're being directed and and. I, I guess it may be worth just a brief discussion yeah. with him to make sure so we can set that up. If okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, Jack? Yeah, I would, because I do not believe on this letter we'll, we'll have really a chance to discuss it. I would just second, third, and fifth George's comments. This was one of the best pieces of work in an organization that does good work all the time. But it was phenomenally in-depth and hit every issue and twist of an issue, both in support of our natural environment, our local economy, and uh, and people's health. So it was just a tremendous body of work. Yeah. Chris Seldon, hats off to you, dude. Probably from all of us. <laughs>
Um, any further open discussion on the part of the board? Yes, Rachel? Yeah, uh, briefly, and it may be something that Public Works is already aware of, but when I went to wash the car I was bringing back last night, the compressor seemed to be <laughs> leaking a lot of water, jetting up into the air. You turn on the hose and it would be less would jet up, but as soon as you turned the pump on, it was uh, kind of like spraying everywhere. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I didn't do as good a job as usual. I was afraid it's going to blow up or something. Okay, any further open discussion? Uh, we'll move on to prep for the hospital meeting. Yeah. Um, I had three topics uh, to, to recommend for the, the hospital board meeting. One I chatted with you briefly about yesterday, which is to get a joint update on the uh, detox program from Colorado West. We're uh, coming up on, on the timeline where they should be uh, ready, at least with a, a proposal, and it's coming right about the same time as this joint board meeting. We felt that that was a good opportunity since uh, Aspen Valley Hospital and the county are, are two major partners in that. Um, the other two items, one would be, an, uh, the other would be an update on the Aspen Valley Healthcare Alliance and just how those discussions are, are moving forward and, and uh, yeah, the, the hospital's view there. Uh, and then looking at just a general update on their major construction project that, that they have going and um, maybe having some discussion then around how they made some of their decisions and some of their experience uh, building their structure. Ms. Rachel? Uh, this is, those are all uh, topics I support. Um, and I'm not sure if it is ripe for discussion at this time or not, but to give an update with Liz Stark on the community health assessment that we're doing in our role as the Board of Public Health and uh, kind of where we are with that and what we you know, anticipate uh, having come out of it in terms of um, fulfilling the state obligations and reporting and things like that. Yeah, I can check and see if we're ready for that. Um, any other items for the hospital prep? Yes, Rachel? Uh, it may just be part of their update on the project, but perhaps you can give them a heads up that um, I'd be very interested in what are they doing about lighting mitigation on the new uh, development. It, I think, uh, you know, from emails already, I know that they're kind of working on it, and it is uh, certainly emitting more light at night than they had thought it would, but, you know, it'd be nice to kind of touch base on that. Any other items for the hospital board? So we've prepped for the hospital board. Okay. Um, I think we have the exec up next, uh, and we, we are going to have our, our folks in at, in about 15 minutes. So uh, if you guys want to call a special meeting and go into exec. Is there a motion for a special meeting? So moved. Is there a second? Okay. Um, any further discussion? For the purposes of? This is just a special meeting. special meeting, yeah. Any further discussion? Um, all in favor? Aye. 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 I'll make a motion for a special meeting, for an executive session for the 
airport layout plan and master plan pursuant to CRS 246402-4B and the SUNY property negotiations uh, pursuant to CRS 246402-4E. Is there anything else on our agenda for executive session? And, and just for clarification, it should have been SUNY land exchange and property negotiations. SUNY land exchange and property negotiations. I'll second. Any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you, Caitlin. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Take a few.